0: USQF ninety four point five. We have a huge announcement. It's like a news alert. It's more important than you know uh, Baghdadi being killed in Syria. Ed Vidal has his first grandson. Yep. Rory Cullen. Rory Cullen. Did he arrive on the Mayflower or No,
1: he's uh he just arrived uh Friday at around lunchtime.
0: My God. The Congratulations yep. to victorious Ed Vidal.
1: Yep, yep, that's what daughter- I meant. My daughter Ingrid and my son-in-law Jed Cullen are very happy, and my wife is in Manhattan in their tiny two-bedroom apartment, helping to take care of the kid. And I will join them uh, from Thanksgiving to through Christmas. So
0: that means Katrina's not coming back, and all that time. No,
1: she'll come back to to get me, and uh, and then we'll drive up.
0: Wow! How yeah. about that? Why drive up, man? This is a nightmare.
1: Talk to m- Katrina. I just you know she's afraid of planes. To, the se- No, the secret to my happiness is I have a shaving mug. It says, yes, dear.
0: Yes, honey. Honey, yep. do this and honey, do that. Right. I call so, it the honeydew, the fine, honey-dew yeah. mug.
1: No, it, it, it's actually um, easier because we have to take a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, we still, we're still, see, the trouble in Manhattan, uh, rents are so high and apartments are so small that, and our both our kids live there, we have a lot of their stuff in storage. So Down, you take it little by little. Yeah. So we're going to take it little by little and that's why we want to take the car.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. So uh, it's your first grant. So uh, kudos to you.
1: Yep, thank you.
0: That means that you, uh, you, your future is bright because you've actually left marvelous, victorious genes <laughs> behind.
1: Well, that's that's part of it.
0: Katrina gets some of the credit, correct?
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: And uh, looking at your daughter, I really can't tell. She looks like mom entirely or dad.
1: Well, she's tall. And and slender like her mom, yeah. But her skin color is is definitely Latin.
0: Oh, she's more. Uh, she's so not she's ruddy. sexy,
1: baby. Right, What's yeah, right, up? Right. She's definitely Latin. A little bit of cabana. When she in was her. at um, when she was at Pomona College, and some some Mexican girls were wearing hoop earrings, and it was and they said oh, only only Latinas can wear hoop earrings. Well, my daughter was able to wear hoop earrings too, so big deal there.
0: So. But, uh. So she somehow, some way considers herself Latina, uh, but she doesn't speak Spanish, or she right, does. Right, she
1: does not speak Spanish. Zero. Right, but she's no. She's a professional human resources. Uh, works in New York, um, and um, you know she was thinking of going to law school. She was an excellent student in law school, and she did really well on the LSAT. So I helped her get a job in New York at an excellent law firm in Midtown and one year after uh, working there as a paralegal she decided she didn't want to go to law school uh she saw that it was it's a real grind and at that time it was 2010 2011 the legal profession was kind of in flux uh a lot of the deal flow had fallen off during the obama administration might have been different if he had been there during this uh trump boom in transactions and uh so she decided to to just go get a job and she's done very well
0: very cool all right. So, who's speaking
1: to us today? Okay. Well, our first caller, uh, it'll be at six fifteen, so we'll have time to banter as you requested. Uh, he will be uh, Mike DeGrandis from the New Civil Liberties Alliance, and they are, I would say, classical liberal or libertarian litigators who take on the administrative state, and they have won some victories recently. He'll tell us about it. But I think the main point of his of his of their victory is that the administrative state typically rules by re- issuing regulations and then they enforce those regulations and then they have uh, hearing ex- officers to to adjudicate those regulations so they it, which act like judges well yeah so they they are actually a violation of the separation of powers principle and charles montesquieu is uh, spinning in his grave cuz they they make the law they enforce the law and then they, they act as judges on whether you are guilty or not so
0: and we believe that donald trump as soon as he came into office, he, he eliminated a lot of, of these. one of his
1: biggest focuses, is rolling back the administrative state. And the administrative state hates him for it. And they showed it last night in Washington, D.C. When they booed him. When they booed him. All those guys booing him were either regulators or they depend on regulators. Or oh, they're
0: unemployed. Well, they're not unemployed yet. You know what I feel about... Washington D.C. You want to drain it? It's you a,
1: got to the, pull the plug. Absolutely, the the swamp will not drain itself. You got You'd to really shut down
0: the government. You send everybody off. Shut
1: down the government. All nonessential personnel. Goodbye. are Fired. Right. No, and the absolutely. note says,
0: "Sell your house as soon as possible."
1: No, no, no. Yeah, don't give me advice. The other thing that I think the Trump administration is starting to do is relocate a lot of the functions away from Washington. Department of Agriculture assigned a whole bureau of, uh, I don't know, researchers or something to Kansas City, and they were very upset. And so maybe that will uh, lead them to leave the federal government. So that would be good. So, Trump, is one of the good things he's doing is he's taking on the administrative state, the regulatory state, which is his extra-constitutional fourth branch of the federal government. And by the way, I was reading this weekend, uh, the New York Times and other newspapers and in Twitter were actually praising the administrative state or the deep state, saying that the deep state is part of the checks and balances.
0: Yeah, a normal check and balance. Normal check and balance, but it's not in it's the Constitution. Not, it's, it's, Give me a break. And they're not uh, efficient yeah. or yeah. affected these at are, being a check and balance.
1: unelected, unionized, government bureaucrats. They lean completely to the left. They are all progressives. They're Democrats. Their donations are to the Democrat party of party, government, baby. The party of government, and that's the third what
0: we, largest economy in the there, world. There
1: are two million of these uh, of these guys in the federal government alone, and then you have the same problem at the local, state, and local level. So that's a big part of what we have to take on. And I think our it really compromises our freedom to have this big regulatory state in place. And the new Civil Liberties Alliance is a real leader in taking them on.
0: Now, you said that they were liberal attorneys,
1: meaning— c- li- c- Classical liberal in terms of free market civil liberties. Because today, liberals are really progressives. They're socialists. Right. They're not really liberal at all. Uh, so these guys are libertarian or classical liberal with a small L.
0: So, in other words, you got going to follow Smith that— Adam Smith and— Yeah, you're going to now follow Frederick that though, And and and, and John F. Kennedy. And no, then I'll no, say no, no, not, no, not no.
1: Kennedy, no. Uh, Don't go there. Uh, Friedrich Hayek, Milton Friedman, uh, Adam Smith, uh, especially Hayek, uh, it, it did a lot of research into the the administrative state. And for example, continental Europe tends to have a strong administrative state compared with England and America. The tradition is stronger in the, in Europe to have this administrative state appointed experts, so called experts. That will run uh, government for us, and we don't want that. They are—they are, they are not enemies very good. of freedom. They, you can never trust them. They're not experts, and they—they—they they, they don't have your best interests at and heart. And completely
0: conflict of interest voters. As, yeah,
1: absolutely. they'll expand they government in a jiffy. So the, last night they booed Trump because he is breaking their rice bowl. This is their living. Whether they work as government officials or they work as lobbyists or contractors or lawyers appearing before them. It's all the same uh, Now
0: you saw it live I didn't watch the game at all I don't yeah. follow baseball at all You don't how can you call yourself a Cuban if you don't follow baseball not, I don't a call a Cuban guy I don't call Jordan myself a Cuban Alvarez, uh, I don't call run. myself a Cuban I call myself then, an American
1: Yuli real another Cuban guy uh, also uh, I was a star. season
0: ticket holder for the Marlins for the first 4 for the years uh, you, and, you, you and you as soon all as they won there. the World Series and gutted the team oh, I, I never I went to that, a baseball game again
1: Let's see if this is Mike.
0: This is Michael.
1: Okay, let's get him.
0: Is this Michael DeGrandis? How are you, sir? Thank you for calling the Concrete Conservative. You're live on the air, WSQF. Hi, how are you? I'm doing just fine. I think Ed Vidal has these wonderful things to say. He's been complimenting you this whole time. Yeah, so. Mike,
1: how are you doing? I was just telling him about how you guys take on the administrative state. Is that right? That's right. That's,
2: that's, that's what we try to do anyway. They, they have an interesting
1: way of operating, I think. All right, so why don't you tell us? You're with the New Civil Liberties Alliance? That's right. Okay, so why don't you tell us about what you guys do and then give us your story about what your recent victory.
2: the New Civil Liberties Alliance is a civil rights organization founded to defend constitutional liberties against administrative state overreach. Uh, Much of the administrative state itself is probably unconstitutional, but to the extent that there are constitutional aspects of the administrative state, they often behave badly. They often behave in unconstitutional ways. Um, Some of those pensions, you know, might not even be nefarious some of it might be just laziness and trying to cut corners but i think we can all agree that the constitution wasn't designed to ease governance it was instead right. uh, it exists to secure the blessings of liberty right and you know we are out there to ensure that uh that that's what the constitution does and the administrative state uh tries to end around and
0: run around that now um ed said that you're classical liberals so we'd like to, the audience to understand the difference, because here on The Concrete Conservative, that's obviously something we would like to understand. Sure. Well,
2: I think it's important to note that NCLA isn't a partisan organization. Right. And you know, really, I think our foundational principles are more rooted in that classical liberalism. Those um, philosophies and principles that grew out of the Enlightenment, the very basis for an understanding that our freedoms, Exists because we were born with them. You know, th- th- this is a natural rights argument. The government doesn't exist to create my rights. It it exists because I need it to protect my rights. And you know, that that's the the perspective from which we proceed. And it kind of gets back to what I was saying about the Constitution's purpose is to secure the blessings of liberty. It doesn't need to tell me I have the right to free speech. I know I have that. Um, I need you, government, to make sure that that I do have that. Um, and
0: that, yeah, don't lose yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think. Well, I think. Uh, uh, I think we must understand that most of the the colonists who fought in the revolution actually had these rights, and they didn't want them taken away from right. them. And therefore, they fought the British because they were already enjoying these rights, and they felt the British were going to start limiting their rights. A lot of people f- think that we fought the revolution to fight for these rights. No. It was to fight to preserve the rights we already had. So that's it's,
2: exactly right. I, a lot of people do miss that point. One of the unique aspects of the American Revolution is that it's really one of history's only conservative right. revolutions, and I mean conservative in the truest sense of the word. We were fighting for the rights we once had that that the British government had taken away from us. Correct. And it's really it's it's it's, it's such a profound difference, and it's so difficult to just. Not to digress too much, but what the founders were able to accomplish in moving from a revolutionary posture to then being able to to govern a citizenry, um, to get that sort of buy-in, it really was because of this liberal enlightenment perspective, and again, classical liberal in the truest sense of the word, um, that they were able to get the buy-in from the population. And it's really, um, I mean, it just it blows my mind that it's worked out as well as it has.
1: So, what what is your your overall criticism of the administrative state as being unconstitutional or at least extra constitutional?
2: Yeah, to the extent that you have uh, independent agencies, that's where we're really going a a bit too far away from what the founders had anticipated uh, this government would be doing. So uh, a lot of these independent agencies, that so they exist in the executive department, okay, they are uh, – yeah, within the executive branch, the executive department, however you want to phrase it. It's one thing for Congress to say, all right, we're going to pass a law. We are going to create a Department of Homeland Security, and we're going to have and, – and here's its mission. Here's how it's going to operate. You know, president because we can't execute the law we're just setting this up you go ahead and you know, you name your cabinet post you go ahead and, and decide the manner in which you're going to operate and execute this law that's fine that's how it, that's how it should be but when you have something like uh you know the fcc which is an independent agency where you have a commission in which the president lacks the authority to remove particular um members of that commission uh, absence cause and so forth so there there are some removal issues there Um, he's not having the direct influence he or she would not be having the direct influence necessary for an executive to control the executive department and that's flat out unconstitutional and you find that they exercise uh, what Madison called the very definition of tyranny: executive power, legislative power, and judicial power, all rolled into one group. And that, I mean, that is—it's constitutionally wrong. It is illiberal, um, and it's—it's it's just taken on a life of its own.
0: And do, you, do you suspect that this also happens in the veterans' administrations and the public school system, where the principal can't fire a teacher, and the veterans' administration, they can't fire. And, uh, any type of officer, or executive that's abusing veterans, it's it goes all throughout the uh, the federal government. Correct. I mean, it's just there's no power to get rid of people that are uh, you know that are experiencing and are guilty of malfeasance.
2: That, that's right. It, it's it's difficult or impossible. There's also you know it, it, just the momentum of large agencies when when you have a government of this size. You, know, you you just find this momentum that makes it very difficult to make important changes. You know they're not they don't have the profit incentive of a business where you find someone who's behaving badly. You you can get rid of them relatively quickly in most in most industries, and it just doesn't operate that way in government, which makes it even more important that you have someone with their finger on the pulse of what an uh, an administrative agency is doing. That can effectuate immediate removal where necessary or make big changes where necessary.
1: So do, what do you do? You attribute the uh, booing of the president at the baseball game last night in Washington a reaction by the administrative state against an executive that's trying to rein them in?
2: Uh, well, it certainly is D.C. And there are a lot of uh, administrative state uh, employees in the area, and I'm sure plenty of them were at the stadium.
1: Uh, and they're all season ticket holders, and not just <laughs> employees, but also contractors and lawyers and lobbyists
2: Well, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that's a very good point It really does extend much further than that and There are a lot of people who have an interest in extending the power and authority of the administrative state And, and you know, that's certainly part of it. Um, you know another part, It's I think a lot of presidents get booed at these things um, Not Obama I, I a unseemly,
1: Not know, Obama person, I'm sorry not Obama Oh, no, he didn't?
0: No. Well, he doesn't know because, you know, the Nazis yeah, weren't in the went. World Series. <laughs> this is the first time they go, you know what I mean? Uh, good point. Now, point. uh, uh what, what, what percentage of the actual regulatory state that you do battle with are unionized uh, affected lawsuits? In other words, it's the union that provokes the lawsuit as opposed to just overzealous regulatory uh, laws. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not
2: sure what you,
0: what you mean by... In other words, in the cases that you take on, it's usually because of uh, something in the law that makes things impossible, or it's the union not allowing any changes to the law that makes things impossible. Well, I don't
1: think it's, they necessarily fight the unions, although most of these government bureaucrats are unionized. I think what they do is they fight the actions the, the and the law. regulations of the agency. So maybe you can tell us about your recent victory.
2: Well, what we've been doing uh, recently is we've been petitioning. A lot of people don't know you can actually do this. You can petition for rulemaking at most of the federal agencies. And and what we did at NCLA was we said, look, you've got this one abomination, uh, constitutional abomination of rulemaking essentially where it, and it's called uh, guidance is, is sort of the shorthand right. for it right. and it's unconstitutional it's wrong you need to stop it and so what we did was we proposed uh, a rule that they could promulgate that would stop guidance and so to explain what that means in, in the 1940s Congress passed a law when it realized that the administrative state back then was starting to spin out of control they said, look, we're going to pass the Administrative Procedure Act because we want the public to have notice and comment about rules and regulation, you know, just the expectations of government. If government's going to regulate you, you should know what those regulations are. And so they passed this. Now, in the APA, there's an exception. You don't, in having to, in, in enacting a regulation, you don't necessarily have to go through notice and comment. You can instead issue guidance if it's internal only. So in other words, I can't, Uh, apply guidance externally. And so, uh, uh, for instance, there could be um, EPA sends a memo to some of its department heads uh, and says, look, due to limited resources, we think our, our big priority should be fresh water out of this particular area. Let's go ahead and focus our resources there. In, in that sort of circumstance, that's fine because they're not changing the law. They're not redefining terms of the law. They're not trying to extend their jurisdiction you know, over additional parties. That's fine, but that's not how they operate. The, the, a, a quick generic example, uh, and this is so commonplace, where you have a dear manufacturer letter, just sort of insert the regulatory party there. We'll send a letter, dear so-and-so. It's come to our attention that you may be doing X, Y, and Z. Well, we believe that that violates this particular statute. And because we believe that, we're about to start an investigation. Or you could just... Uh, Affirm for us that you are going to stop doing this, or affirm for us that you'll stop doing this and you'll pay us uh, this penalty.
1: That's regulation that's- by letter, by kind of like you know semi-friendly letter. Plus, right. it's extortion. Yeah, it is.
2: Exactly, well, exactly. I mean, I have a, a, a article in Reason on uh, Reason.com last week or the week before. Where I describe it is, uh, you know, Don Vito Corleone would call this an offer a regulated party campus. Right
1: now, let and, me you let, know,
2: agencies call it guides.
1: Now let me ask you, and, uh, yeah. if I remember correctly, I think the Department of Education did this with colleges and universities regarding uh, sexual assault uh, adjudication on campus. Is that right?
2: That's right, Title Nine. Yeah, that's it, it, a, a particularly egregious
1: example. That's right. So, so uh, what? So what did you guys? Uh, what did you guys do?
2: So, you know, so we filed these petitions for rulemaking in an effort to help persuade the government to, to, to move the ball forward. And one of the reasons why we did that is because we had noticed that the, the Trump administration already started making steps in that direction. They had issued a, a memorandum from the Department of Justice, uh, basically directing federal agencies to not use this type of rulemaking. And so, um, what had happened a couple of weeks ago was the Trump administration issued two executive orders. Um, and they're they're really quite remarkable. Um, what they're trying to do is they're trying to eliminate guidance. Now, this isn't the first time presidents have tried to eliminate guidance, but what the Trump administration has done is, is very creative. They've got certain enforcement mechanisms in here that is going to make it very difficult for the next president to just simply undo this with an executive order. And I, and I think the, probably the most interesting one for your listeners is that uh, agencies are now required to set up a searchable database on their website. It's gotta be indexed and linked. Every single guidance document they have has to be on there. So, you know, it, it, and so the, the, the premise here, the purpose of all this is to give them the opportunity to that is the public, the opportunity to see what's out there. Like right now, we can't see what's out there. You wouldn't know about that dear manufacturer letter. So many of what of these these uh, guidance documents the government puts out, they sometimes put them out in blogs. I mean, it's ridiculous. And this will be a one stop shop, at least agency by agency. And, and who knows, maybe an enterprising nonprofit would want to uh, to gather all of that information together in one place. Sure, well,
0: how about, Nexus, Nexus or Bloomberg Law. I mean, well, could, how about how about the accused uh, giving a rebuttal on these sites? That too, so, comments. You know, yeah. comments to defend themselves before things. You know, go uh, to Lettings. I, I think this
1: sounds like a good idea for a, a publisher like LexisNexis or Westlaw or Bloomberg Law. Right. That could be.
0: Now, uh, how far do uh, your cases all end up in the, um, you know, in federal court, or they usually get settled out?
2: Well, well, with respect to our lawsuits, and of course, this isn't related to our lawsuits. With, res- with respect to our lawsuits, some of them are in state court because we are also here to fight state overreach. We yeah. find a lot of state attorneys general just go completely off the rails, and we try to, to rein them in as well, uh, because th- those also impact uh, guaranteed uh, right. civil liberties um, as well as, as um, federal. When we're dealing with, with federal agencies, we're in federal courts, um, and with state agencies, it kind of depends on the now, circumstances.
1: Now, let me ask you, what, what part of the Trump administration is doing this? Is it the Office of Management and Budget?
2: Uh, primarily, but um, it, it has started with the Department of Justice. Okay, uh, they've, they've been behind this, um, and you know we've we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from a number of agencies, including the Department of Transportation. I think Good. they appreciate how important it is, and they're a gigantic organization. Right. that would be a huge step forward if they took action on our on our petition. Certainly, they have to take action on the on the executive orders, but I think it, it really put. It really puts the agencies that are less inclined to go down this road right. and in a much more difficult position, where they really have to. Now, let, let me let me say this one one little thing, and I hate to give you the bad news part of this, but the bad news part of this is that these executive orders only apply to federal agencies, not to the independent agencies. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, well, well the,
0: the, the distinguish the two, uh, the, the two different agencies. Okay, so, yeah. Tell our it, audience, tell
1: it, our audience, yeah.
2: Yeah. The, so, yeah, it, I, I mentioned it briefly before. I think the easiest way to think of it is that the independent agencies are run by commissions, like the Federal Communications Commission, uh, typically, and the standard federal agencies are more like uh, executive departments, like Department of of Energy. Uh, Department of Homeland Security, Department of Defense, that sort of thing.
1: Okay. So, for example, EPA is an agency.
2: That's correct. It is an agency. It's an agency that often
0: has a commission. It's
2: roughshod over constitutional rights. Um, You know, there's... Some just incredible examples of how guidance has ruined people's lives, and you know, a lot of people think you know, EPA. We don't want Exxon dumping gasoline in you know the creek behind the house. No, of course we don't want that. But that's not the only thing that they regulate. Uh, for instance, there was um, it was just a few years ago, and I forget his name, but there was a, a man, a family in Wyoming, I believe it was, where uh, they wanted to dig a pond. And they got, like, state engineers to help them. They, they dug this pond. They stocked it with fish. Um, it was, you know, they wanted their horses to drink there. It ends up being a nice little mini wildlife refuge. they got, like, bald eagles and stuff. EPA gets wind of it and says sends them a letter and says, look, here's what you, we want you to do. We want you to fill in your pond or give us $20 million. Um, you know, you say these are, I'm trying to remember whether it was a Waters of the United right. States, and I think it was a Waters of the right, United yeah. States type issue, and I think it was related to stock ponds, if I remember
1: right. right.
2: And the EPA says, go ahead and give us $20 million. You know, obviously, they, they don't have, maybe it's not obvious. But they, let me say, they didn't have $20 million. And, and
1: if I right. did, I wouldn't pay it to you anyway. Well, I think it, that was definitely overreach. You know, if you and have I a wouldn't p- fill in my if, pond. If you have a, a bathtub on your backyard, the EPA would claim jurisdiction.
2: I, I, I think they might. I think they might. And, and, and what's fun and exciting, uh, maybe... May I mean, excuse yeah, me, but I,
0: before, uh, what was the motivation to fill in the pond? They're just afraid of, they're afraid of more people doing the same? Who knows? It doesn't matter.
2: Exactly. Who knows? I I have no idea why they would decide to go down this road. Sometimes you have to understand that that, agency, just by exerting power, ends up ensuring that it maintains its power. If it declines to... You know, to reach out and expand and keep growing like the monster that it is, I think that there's certain concern that, that you know, perhaps people catch on and start start chipping away at their authority.
0: And of their budgets.
2: Right. And budget. Yeah, exactly.
0: In other words, if they create more regulation, then they need more people to enforce the new regulation. Therefore, they're guaranteed a livelihood because right. they're always expanding.
2: Yeah, it's a justification for being in the first place. I found more problems. You need to give me more money so I can find even more problems. Um, you know, and and you know, our argument is first of all that's ridiculous. But let's put the policy side aside for a moment. Let's pretend, for the sake of argument, that the policy is okay. We think that this that this uh, pond should have been filled in, and and this pond should have been created in the first place. Well. It would then let's go ahead and go through the APA process. Go ahead and promulgate a rule. Go ahead and make the argument to the public why this should be the case. Go through the procedure that Congress gave you to go through in the first place, and they didn't do that. Instead, they're using guidance to destroy people's lives. You're, you're just left guessing until these executive orders, and that's what makes them fun and exciting, is that there's a real opportunity now to peek behind the curtain, to see the wizard and how the wizard is is uh, is – just manipulating each each and every one of us, whether we know it or not, uh, in the manner in which they're willing to issue yeah but let me ask
1: you let me ask you something yeah. more no. radical, going to the roots of the issue when you 're talking about independent agencies like dPA or the S e c they are acting as uh, reg legislators in their rulemaking, however they do it they 're acting as enforcers, so they 're the executive, and they often have administrative law judges to adjudicate their enforcement so that's isn't right. that unconstitutional
2: that, that is as unconstitutional as unconstitutional gets and and like i said i mean that's madison's very definition of tyranny when you mix executive legislative and judicial functions in one organization and what's 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 worse and, and this is another issue that the president tries to address in these executive orders and i think it does well is that with guidance you don't have Final agency action, and that's right. important, and, and directly to your point here about grouping those those three functions, governmental functions together. If it's not final agency action, uh, Article Three courts, so in other words, the standard federal courts, mm-hmm. won't review it. The, what the federal courts say, so with, with a deer manufacturer letter, they'll say, well, well, look at this letter. They say that they might investigate. There's no final action here. You can, uh, you
1: so that's why they documents.
2: do it which is which is ridiculous of course because like you said extortion is just a shakedown and so you, know, you you find it much easier to abuse the process if you've got all three functions rolled into one and you can avoid the one out the, the, the there may be another out with the congressional review act uh, but you know the, the one true out that any family would have when when um, dealing with this type of, of guidance issue, with this type of letter they might receive to fill in the pond or whatever it might be, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've got nowhere to go. And so you're stuck with the agency and you know, it's gonna be the one, like you said, to then prosecute you, and to judge you, and then you probably have to appeal within the agency, too. Which no. Is, uh, well,
1: I, well, I go back to uh, the Sick Chicken case in 1935, Schechter versus National Recovery Administration, where the Supreme Court struck down the National Recovery Administration on the grounds that it's excessive regulation of interstate commerce and over delegation of congressional legislative power. So that's where I would go. That,
2: mm-hmm. No, and, and you're right. The, the Article One, Section One, the United States Constitution says all legislative powers will be invested, shall be vested in a Congress. That, that's not just the first article; it's not just the first section. It's the very first sentence. Right. <laughs> very first sentence. You can't miss it. You can't miss it unless you're a federal agency and you don't want to see it. Or, I'm sorry. Unless you're Congress, you don't want to see it. It's really well, Congress's problem. Yep. And quite, quite frankly, you know, it would be interesting. I think to have. A, Uh, A a regular podcast Of what the founders got right And what the founders got wrong Because for all of their brilliance And setting up a wonderful system There are a few things that they missed And I think that they they did make an assumption You see it in the Federalist Papers Over and over again That they had hoped that institutional And individual uh, power jealousy Would help keep the others at bay They really thought that Congress Would want to retain authority Over legislative action. Yeah. And that they, that would prevent yeah. executive agencies right. from from this type of overreach. But that hasn't happened because Congress <laughs> doesn't want to make the tough decision.
1: Right. They they want to shirk they are shirking responsibility.
2: Right. So they can right. spend
1: their time fundraising. Fundraising,
2: whatever 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 their little you know, self-aggrandizing, and, and I don't mean to, to bash each and every member. Why not? You're, yeah, here, you're ahead, here on the
0: concrete ahead. conservative. You go can ahead. go ahead and bash every single one of. Them. <laughs> I'm sure. That, I'm sure that there are
2: a couple over there for the right reasons. Yes, but I, I
1: yeah, find but, them for us and yeah, bring but, them to we'll, the show. But one of them just resigned. Katie Hill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she had the right reason. oh all right. she was
1: good. She's good. She was, good. I want, she was we spreading bring her, her the wings. Show. Studio visit.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. We want her in here. Uh, well, all right. So.
1: Let me ask you, what what effect do you think term limits would have?
0: Uh, you got to get ready. I, I'm ready to Be ambush careful. you. He's going to whack <laughs> you. Term,
2: term limits is sort of a bit of a double edged
0: sword. Thank it, you. Let's, let's assume
2: that we can go ahead and and amend the Constitution. We can put term limits in there. I think that you, know, you have some instant positive result. One, you know, there, there isn't enough time for any individual – well, I mean, we'd have to figure out exactly what time. But if it was a reasonable period of time, let's say, no individual uh, senator or representative would be able to accumulate so much influence that it'd be worth it to whatever interests that person serves to invest too much in them. Okay. Um, and, and so I think that that would be good. Um, I, I, I really think, though, that – you end up losing some institutional knowledge. Yep. You Might have more. Yes. yes, 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 yes.
0: <laughs> I'm with you on that. I'm okay. really anti-term yeah. uh, limits because it's just too easy. Yeah, but too on reactionary. The, on the
1: other hand, I I, I uh, know uh, Mr. Conyers. Congressman Conyers was in Congress for 50 years. And yeah, well, that's was, the fault of his district. Well, there you go. And then uh, when they were reading the— It's, it's they were, time to dra- start blaming the voter. When voting. they were bla- uh, drafting the uh, Obamacare, he said, well, what's the point of reading it? It's 2,000 pages. Yeah, but,
0: I mean, see how we don't really want to uh, attack each other as voters. I mean, we're the ones that do this kind of yep. stuff. We're the ones that keep on uh, re-electing a John McCain who did nothing but sabotage the conservative movement throughout his career simply because he was you know somehow
1: a war hero a war hero yeah.
0: in some bizarre way and, and those who fought with him didn't feel that way about him so we we live in this world of branding and and, and a perpetual uh, public relations in politics that makes it damaging when someone sits there for 20 30 years but in the states that have tried term limits it's been disastrous and it's disastrous here in okay, Florida we'll see
1: about federal
0: and it's uh, yep. and you can't really experiment with it because if you're if I'm right and you guys are wrong, we can't unravel okay, it. So
1: what about term limits in the federal bureaucracy?
2: Well, I, you know that's more along the lines uh, of I think a, of a better way to maybe approach it all. And I don't know that I'd call it term limits. I mean, I think ultimately the real problem here. Um, are representatives, senators who aren't really working in the best interests of this country and really working in their own interests,
0: or in the government's interest,
2: or, or in the government's interest. And I think the way the way to eliminate that is just take the money out of Washington. If you want to get rid of lobbyists, just don't give there a reason to be lobbyists. And so, if we take the money away, if the government is less less active in our individual lives which means we've got to take down the administrative state we've got to to dial it back if we allow the states to conduct much more right. of this regulation which you know reasonable people can can disagree agree about how much regulation is right or whether any regulation is right i mean that that's fine but if we have to have regulation. It strikes me that most of these are best executed by the states.
3: Mm-hmm. If
2: we, if the federal taxes, if we reduce federal taxes, allow states to develop revenue streams so that they can conduct this. And again, that we're putting the government closer to the people, it'd be much easier to identify right. bad, corrupt representatives at the state level. And then the and states less have to incentive compete. For you to go to Washington in the first place, right? Less incentive for businesses, unions. Uh, whatever interest you may have to hire lobbyists to influence people, you know, I, to, to me that that would be the best way to handle it. The founders didn't, didn't see this as being like such a such a big money maker for people. I right? Think. Yeah. And I think that's part of the problem.
0: Okay. Now, uh, when, when, couldn't we cut to the chase by just repealing Amendment Seventeen and have the states Become bring back more their
1: involved in our federal? Well, system. the
0: recall power, yeah, the ability well, to recall be. a senator. In other words, state
1: election of senators,
0: not only not only was that ingenious on their part, because it obligated us to get involved in state politics to yep. assure that we would get a senator of That's our true. liking.
1: That's true. And
0: you got rid of all that chemistry. Man, it's so easy for us to elect someone who's very popular, very you know charismatic. And then he completely turns on us as soon as he gets to D.C. because the lobbyists grab a hold of him. And we didn't even know it happened.
2: Right. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. I, I, it was a huge, huge mistake to allow for you know, general election of senators. It, it 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 was not part of the original constitutional design for a reason. The Senate right. is supposed to be a deliberative body. You know, well, I
0: mean, the very robber barons know. themselves accused themselves of being corrupt among themselves, and and the people bought into it somehow.
2: Right. Right. It, yeah, I'm not really you. Know, I'm not optimistic. I mean, I'll, I'll sign the petition to to
1: reconsider that. I'd, I'd be I'd be happy to have the well, state legislatures pick our senators. Go to conventionofstates.com dot com and check it out because we're Manny and I are both uh, active in that convention of states. Project. Yeah, using
0: Article Five yeah, to amend right. the Constitution without Congress. And uh, the, what I'm worried about is. Term limits becoming more important than repealing seventeen, and that's the biggest issue I have with convention of states. As much as I voice it and voice it and voice it, I thought that that's all we were going to talk about yeah. when we get there. Ter- term limits
1: is is the most popular of all the yeah because amendments. it's
0: reactionary, it's easy, and it's lazy. It's an intellectually lazy argument. Now, also, what happens in our states with term limits is the the age group the age group of elected officials goes down by twenty years because now it's a resume builder since of. Since you had term limits, and of course others say, well, they start they start earlier because you're going to be termed out, so it's nice to have on your resume. So you get very amateurish people that aren't even experts in their field sitting on, you know, transportation committees and uh, judicial committees, and they're just all a bunch of wannabes. And I see that up until in the Austin. Florida
1: State Legislature.
0: Oh my God! And you walk around and speak to these people, and they're you know kids right out of college practically. And they're not really successful in the private sector. Therefore, what the hell are you doing here? And guess what? They're padding their resumes for a day later. And guess what? You've only increased a culture for a more sophisticated lobbying culture after, you know, you've been termed out of the legislature. It's a terrible mistake. When you term limit people out at the national level, those guys become expert lobbyists. And you're just expanding the lobbyist industry. It's so sad. So, of course, that brings the segue to my final comment which, well, wait, let me ask
1: him one more which question. is attendance records wait, wait, oh attendance yeah. attendance
0: obligations in order to qualify for re-election once you're in oh. Congress you have to attend it like a, a little boy in school when the bell rings I like that. I like yes that. there you go and I call it the punch in, punch out amendments on my of my book I wrote a book about reinventing the United States and it, it prompted me to to actually Build, All right. build this radio. So, this, this is the part where he cuts me off. Yep. Build this radio station. He's cutting me off on a radio station I built, so that I can tell you to reinvent the United States instead of reform. Well, it. I think the
1: attendance requirement is a good suggestion. Oh, uh, after me, about a year. Let, let me ask you about another one. one slide, excuse me, have but one, how
0: old are you? What, if I may ask? How, how old am I? Yes, I'm forty nine. See how oh, he's, right. he's listening to me. Guy. That means that you are right. over the hill. Let
1: me ask you what, one. Okay, one I'm five. I stay in to my go lane pretty soon. But let me ask. What do you think about moving the bureaucrats out of Washington? I know that the uh, Department of Agriculture sent a bureau to Kansas City recently, and they were all very upset. What do you say to that?
2: Oh well, I, I think that would be spectacular. I, I think you know, <laughs> sort of. The warehousing of, you know, the federal government all in one place, all it does is ends up, you know, just creating a perpetual motion machine of, uh, you know, making sure that you can justify your existence, again, by finding problem after problem. You need me to solve it type of a culture. Um, also, it makes for a less diverse workforce. And I think, you know, diversity um, in, in employment, I think, is an important thing. And I think part of diversity is where are you from?
1: Right. And I think Geographic. being able
2: to pull more people from wherever the northeast, Midwest, you know, West Coast, whatever it might be, I, I think that would that would profoundly change administrative culture, mm-hmm. and I think that that would be a very good thing. Yeah. Um, and along those lines, I heard recently. I just learned about the original First Amendment to the United States Constitution was actually supposed to be. Um, uh, a, a proportional representation for the house that was built in i forget how many people per thousand right. um it, but it, it, it was obviously shot down but it would have been somewhere along the lines that we would have something like four thousand uh, right uh members of the house now and I, it, what's interesting about that is if we were able to expand representation in that way they couldn't live here <laughs> you know, it, would, it would probably be mostly a remote house. So I think that's another way to uh, create greater diversity. I think more people would be willing uh, to run. You
0: know, to, yeah, but, um, I mean, but the capital uh, steps would have been enormous. They would No, no, no,
1: no, no. They, they could, would have been the steps of the pantheon. They have more. Like in England, every member of parliament represents uh, like 300,000 people. And here, right. every, every uh, member of Congress represents uh, almost a million people. Okay, so but we wouldn't, physically, we
2: require them to come to, to come to D.C. very much. You know, you you'd basically be working remotely. Yep. Um, and I, I time, in, time that out. Would, I mean, it's just it, it, with you suggesting or or at least asking about uh, bringing administrative agencies out of uh, Washington D.C., I think it's a great idea, and I think the same thing may be true uh, if we did that to our representatives.
1: All right.
0: In other words, to expand the body of Congress so that they can't live in D.C. because they're too damn big. Yep. <laughs>
2: Yep. And, and they'd be more responsive to the interests of their constituents. It would also tend to to quell this sort of um, hyperventilating over every single little thing, uh, just because you'd have so many people. Uh, and and I, I, I'm just throwing that out there. It's something I learned about recently. I thought it was very interesting.
0: Well, thank you very much. It's been a very interesting conversation. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. We appreciate it. I hope to have you back.
2: I, ho- I hope to be
0: back. Thank, thank you very you. much. All right, thank you.
1: So here we are at
0: the Concrete Conservative, WSQF, 94.5. That was an excellent conversation. Fighting
1: the good fight, yep.
0: He's fighting the good fight. We didn't ask him the magic question, are you a liberal? He said here. That means he lives there.
1: No, he lives in Washington, everybody. But no, I think people who work at this uh, organization are usually fairly conservative. If he thought that Schechter versus National Recovery Administration in 1935 was rightly decided, then he's a conservative.
0: Okay, uh, what was the what was the famous case that created the FDA? Uh, it was that a case was created had to do with in the early 1900s.
1: 1900s, early. Early. That was in Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, the,
0: the island or the jungle. The book called the Jungle. The Jungle
1: by Upton Sinclair. Yes. yes.
0: You're listening to WSQF, the Concrete Conservative. I'm yours truly, Mac, and this is Ed Vidal my co-host. Who do I have the pleasure to speak with? I believe you wrote a book called The Police State.
3: That's me,
0: Jamie Ligator. Oh, you got a great last name, too. Ligator, like a litigator. <laughs> kind of works. That's correct. Well, thank you very much for calling the Concrete Conservative. Uh, I think Ed's got a couple questions for you that I would yeah. like to chime in afterwards. Yeah,
1: Jamie, what? Uh, thank you for calling. Where are you calling us from? I
0: live in San Jose, Costa Rica. Oh, okay. Great. Oh, the, the freest there. country in the world without a standing army. I love it. Yep, it's
1: a fairly uh, civilized country for being in Latin America. <laughs>
3: It's all right.
0: And uh, what 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 took you there? Are you Costa Rican by by birth, or no? No, I used to live in New York. <laughs> That's I a good way tired. to flee too. I, I just about forty five
3: years ago. I just plain got tired of all of the things that were going on. I said I'm going to try something new. I, uh, me and my wife, we just moved to Costa Rica, and here we are with three daughters.
1: Wow! Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for calling in. We uh, we appreciate our international audience and our international callers.
0: So it's odd that a person who's living in a place which is has less regulation, less no, uh, no, no, less no, of no. everything, they, you created a book called the no, police state. No, no,
1: he had a, a run-in with the American. Uh, yeah, uh, a prosecutorial system. Oh, so, okay. You, so so you please let it, let the audience know on the police state, USA, and maybe you can tell us. Uh, and I think that we should tell our audience that you are not the only one who has had run-ins with the. It's overreaching American prosecutors both at the federal and the state level, and also uh with, with not just uh, during the Obama administration, which is really uh, you know considered the worst police state, but also during the w administration and Clinton before that. so why don't you tell well, us your there story? Are things that really go back way back because a lot of this
3: is the fault of politicians. Uh, just over regulating everything and allowing basically allowing prosecutors to get away with anything i i assume that you understand that a prosecutor who does uh, is guilty of misconduct he will not get punished even after he is found out found out in my book i have examples of uh, many real life cases in which people after being in jail for in prison for 20 years are found to be innocent and then to make it worse they find that the prosecutor knew he was innocent from the very beginning
0: so okay so give us, a, give us a give us somebody losing their
3: freedom what a, happens to those prosecutors nothing what
0: happens is absolutely nothing in yeah you'll see it you're see it no again it,
3: judges after a while
0: okay please uh take like a step back if you don't mind to talk about your case in particular obviously because we're all, uh, I'm an American Cuban, and I guess you're Cuban-American, and Ed is a Cuban-American. Uh, I think our audience would be flabbergasted by how this all started.
3: Okay, I uh, moved to Costa Rica in uh, the year 1973. So I have been a businessman. I have started a lot of businesses. I lived in Costa Rica uh, being a lawful citizen, taking care of all my duties, and in the year 2007, in the year 2007, after living in this country for 34 years, I was taking care of my business, and some guys come over, they show me a badge, and they say to me, Jamie Ligator. I said, yes, it's me. So they say, uh, we have to detain you. You're
1: arrested. Were they Costa Rica police?
3: They were the Costa Rican police, uh, the, uh, it's by their initials the OIJ, okay.
1: Organismo
3: de Investigación
1: Judicial, okay. they're
3: basically equivalent to the
1: American FBI, okay. except that they're much more
3: decent, much more courteous, they treat you like a person, not like they have all that power. So I didn't know what was going on at that time. I said, wait a second, what why are you arresting me for? I have no idea. It, it, it must be that somebody's playing a joke on me, right? And no, it wasn't a joke. It was on a Friday. I spent the weekend uh, detained in, the, in the, um, uh, the bottom of the courthouse. And on Monday, when I was taken to a judge, the judge says to me, Well, you are detained because we have an extradition request from the United States government. To make things even uh, weirder, the extradition, the indictment had come from North Carolina. I had never, I had never in my life, Charlotte, North Carolina, I had never in my life stepped in Charlotte, North Carolina, so I really didn't understand. All right, so as I kept finding out about it, there have been a group of people here uh, defrauding Americans with phone calls from the United States.
1: No, phone calls from Costa Rica?
3: It was, it was called the sweepstakes scam. Uh, I would say now that I, after examining all the records, there must have been seven or eight different groups doing this.
1: Okay, but were they, they were based in American Costa Rica? Okay, but Southern were they based in America, Costa Rica?
3: percent of the amount to cover the insurance of sending them the check of 500,000. Well, that's really the the least part of the of the story because my book deals mainly with the abuses by prosecutors. The way they really get away with anything, they don't get punished, they feel free to do whatever they want, and after doing a lot of research You realize that if a prosecutor doesn't like what you say in your radio station, he can invent something to charge you with. There's no limits to what they can do.
1: Okay, now let me ask you a question going back a little bit. You were being charged with being part of a lottery scam that was being run out of Costa Rica into America, right? That's correct. Okay, so this was like a call center in Costa Rica. Yes, sir. Okay, so I, I, I'm familiar with that because I, I've been in the outsourcing business. I visited call centers in Costa Rica, as it turns out, by, by uh, coincidence. So, so they were, so they associated you with some other, maybe handful of other in, Costa Rican individuals who were engaged in this lottery scam. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, so and there was really a little missed... bit of background. I owned at that point, in that time, point of time,
3: I owned a casino. And the fact of the matter is that there were a few of those scammers, as I found out, who were customers in the casino, and they knew me. Okay. One particular one had become very friendly with me two years before that, Mm -hmm. and uh, trying to scam me, honestly, but I didn't realize it at the time. We had become very good friends, and he owed me a lot of money from the casino.
1: Okay. In other words, he was a,
0: was a patron, a gambler. Yeah, go ahead. ahead. He was a gambler, I suppose. That's where these debts came from. He was a gambler,
3: and he signed uh, markers at the casino. Okay. All right, so it came a point where he had no money, and I felt I couldn't collect, so I just uh, didn't hear from him for about a year. So in the year 2006... The uh, local police, with the Interpol, with the help of the United States, broke
0: into those seven officers that I was talking about before that were carrying out the scam. Yes. And he was one
3: of the people arrested. Okay.
0: Uh, So when
3: he came to the States, I had tried to collect... Once I found out he had money, I had tried to collect the money from him in the year 2005. Once he came to the States he decided that he was going to get revenge on me by saying that i had financed him okay and the second purpose of him being a singer <laughs> let's say uh, uh Tweety bird
1: to get a reduction in sentence so he wrongly he, implicated he became the star witness for the prosecution. okay so he he was calling everybody out he was the only
3: detained person who was free on bail and did everything he wanted.
1: Okay, so he was he he was uh, wrongly implicating you in their scheme.
3: That's that's exactly right.
1: Okay, so did you have a lawyer to to defend you? Uh, yes. And how did uh, that go? Yeah, I ended up calling an old friend that uh, was
3: a known lawyer in Florida uh, to try to find out what is the story in the states because this was a United States problem, not right. a Costa Rican problem. Right and after a few months i had collected enough data to show that no not only were we not friends but we were enemies because he uh didn't want to pay his debt okay So and i had witnesses to that effect so this is really um, outrageous so i said to my lawyer in florida i said look i have collected all this evidence i have all these witnesses why don't you go take this to the prosecutors in the States, show them they're wrong about me, and, and ask them to dismiss the case. <laughs> that sounds simple enough, right? Well, he laughed at me. He said, Jamie, if you show your evidence to the prosecutors, they're not going to let you go. They're going to find ways. They're going to look for ways to override your evidence, to counteract it. They want to prosecute and that's all they're going to do.
0: Okay, but you still you, you still have to put on your case uh, for you so, f- so these
1: were federal prosecutors in the District of North Carolina. Uh, yeah, actually, they were based in Washington.
3: They decided to uh, to uh, try me
0: in North Carolina. Yeah, okay. so they could have a jury of their of a bunch of hillbillies so the in the who south. The people had been defrauded. <laughs> no, a bunch of a bunch of a so cracker. What I yeah, but, you're the Latino. Uh, The
3: judge assigned to this. And I had these strong suspicions that they had been buddies and that they wanted this judge. He was terribly uh, tough, and there was no way he was doing anything that they asked for. Anything they asked for, they had.
1: Well, it's so, funny, because we had another caller earlier this year, Howell Waltz, who was also from North Carolina. Oh, yes. He suffered a similar uh, pr- uh, prosecution in North Carolina. The truth is that... Um, Howell was uh, much
3: more of a victim. They were much harsher on him. What he went through, what he lived through, is terrible. Yep. Really terrible. I feel very bad for him.
0: and his his case was not was oh, similar in what ways and dissimilar in what ways. Well,
3: it, it wasn't similar in the fact that they really uh, had a crime on him. He had uh, an investment house in Bahamas and he received a $3 million deposit from an ex-judge. And he did his duty as he was supposed to. He reported it as a suspicious transaction. So what's wrong with his behavior? Nothing. The FBI called him and they asked him if he would be willing to come and talk to them about it. And he said, sure, I'm going to be in Virginia next month or next whatever the time frame. So at that time, I'll come by your offices and tell you all about it. And uh, when he went to Virginia, he had the appointment with them, let's say, like tomorrow. They didn't wait for tomorrow. They picked him up and his wife today, one day before. They didn't wait for him to show up at their offices. They were. They. There was all kinds of anomalies in so far as which judge they took him to, uh, et, cetera, et cetera. His book is very uh, graphic in so far as all the abuses they committed with him. But in the end, they actually confessed to him that all they wanted is for him to talk, say certain lies about the guy that deposited the three million dollars. He was an ex judge who had some. Political problems with the people involved. And if he would cooperate with them, nothing would happen.
0: Of course,
1: he he refused to uh, cooperate in lying. didn't want to tell lies.
3: He endured uh, a lot of pain. In the end, his wife, who was also jailed, got very, very sick. And the prosecutors just uh, blackmailed him. They said, Look, we'll let your wife go if you plead guilty, period. So he had to
1: plead guilty and they let his wife out of jail. Unbelievable. Well, let me let me go through some of this cuz so this wait a minute, wait. Now yeah, we have go to go ahead. back.
3: Nazi, Nazi uh, tactics.
0: Yeah, that's complete Bolshevik, you know, Cuban Gulag, yeah. the whole thing. Um exactly. Now in your case, going back to your case cuz we, oh, we don't want to emphasize his case more than yours. Oh. Right. It, what is it that resolved your issue and how much time did you spend in in jail?
3: in Costa Rica waiting to be extradited when there is an extradition request involved the local courts have no choice but to hold you and send you away so there was no chance of beating the extradition finally in the year 2009 they extradited me to the United States by that time I had a plea deal with the prosecutors over the two years that I waited for my extradition I did a lot of studying and I found out that there's no way in earth that one should go to trial against these guys. They put in false witnesses, they put in people to lie, they they just there's no there's very little chance of beating them in a trial.
1: Well they win ninety five percent of their cases in trial.
3: Uh, basically, in trial, um, they get people to plead guilty ninety-three percent
1: of the time okay. before trial. Yeah, there so you the go. Rest so of the people who do
3: go to trial, actually twenty-five percent do end up beating those. Okay, if you end up going to trial,
1: it's so still so pretty bad odds. So where say. where is your where is your case now? No. I went. I made a deal with them.
3: I spent a year in jail in the States, and I'm back in Costa Rica now. It's all
0: finished.
1: Unbelievable. Well, thank you for writing your book and for speaking out, because this is something that goes on more than we would uh, like to to talk about.
3: Exactly. That's really the point of my book, about how incredible these prosecutors get away with all of this and nothing ever happens to them and i write about percentages how often it is found
0: out that they are guilty of misconduct how often they do well you have it now in the president's case Well, where you have a, let's,
1: let me go through those because i want to tell our audience the book is j a m i e J-A-M-I-E, ligator l i g a t o r it's called police state usa and it was just published and i think published two weeks ago Okay, two weeks, there you go. Now, let me go over some examples of this. You're not the only guy that this has happened to. Um, I would say, for example, in the case of Paul Manafort, that was a very, very shady prosecution. They dug up uh, uh, facts that had already been looked at before, and then they just took him to trial. the, The Justice Department had already looked at what Manafort had done and decided not to prosecute. But in this case, they went over and had a second look. So that's Absolutely an example. Outraged
3: a country that's supposed to be a democracy, uh, uh, we live by laws, etc., etc., that they can be that uh, extreme. It was just really sad. To, to no, it was right. in, and
1: it, the way he was treated, he was put in, in prison, isolation. Yeah. Uh, okay, another example is Roger Stone, who lives down here in South Florida. He was, they had a SWAT team of like 17 people, a, bo- a boat in the back of his house to to arrest him. And he's really, fighting. It's absolutely They want to show their power. That's what what they do. They want to show their power. Okay. And uh, I don't know. There's no way of putting an end to this because the politicians
3: accept all of this. The politicians accept all of these actions. And by the way, a very important point. Um, Prosecutors get away with this because they have absolute immunity. Right. Uh, You're aware of that, right? Right.
1: Yeah. In other words, in, they, they... immunity and impunity. Uh, you cannot, you cannot ever sue them for what they do. Right. Okay. And uh, the Supreme Court actually just a couple of years reasserted that that they're not going to take away the absolute immunity. And based on that immunity, they just do whatever they want. okay well let me let me let me work on that because here 's another one. General Michael Flynn was totally railroaded by the FBI, and I think he has a new counsel now at first, he caved, he pleaded guilty, his son keep must,
0: his you know, son out of jail was, just was like dangerous Howl. right
1: the same thing that how wolf said, keep his son out of jail. But yeah, exactly.
3: now, exactly, Nazi tactics, like I said before.
1: Right, but now he has a new, uh, more aggressive attorney who is digging up some real dirt, and I think you're going to see some some real uh, turnaround in the Michael Flynn case. And I the, believe the problem,
3: the problem with them is that it all came from the Mueller uh, commission well, or whatever. Well. And, Special commiss- And uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to do anything about well, it. It's well, we'll see. Crazy now, in, right, your so- ca- in
0: your case, was uh, your offender, that was he found guilty of what he did? The person who you owed the money? Oh,
3: yeah, monk? yeah, yeah. It's an interesting story with him because he was the star
0: witness for the prosecution. Right. Against That's you. you were talking about, the guy that,
1: that pointed at me. Right, yes. implicated you.
0: Yes, the one who implicated yeah, you was... He, uh, <laughs> his,
3: uh, sentence was 15 years it was cut down to
1: half because he cooperated fully with the prosecutors so his sentence was seven and a half years but
3: something interesting happened on the way to the forum the day before he was supposed to report to the prison he escaped
1: Uh (laughs) he got caught very fast brought back
3: to the states and the judge was extremely mad at him because they had trusted him to give him bail and everything. So he put in an extra six years on his
0: sentence. So he went back to 15
1: almost.
3: Almost, yeah. Well, okay. apparently
0: the, there's an extradition going on right now with Julian Assange. And apparently what's what's coming out of that uh, extradition is they can only include the, the Chelsea Manning case because the treaty is so narrow between the United States and the UK that there can't be any implications of politics involved in Julian Assange's case. So they're strictly sticking to Chelsea Manning case, which has to do with treason of Chelsea Manning. Right. But she, her sentence was commuted, or its sentence was commuted, because I don't know... It it was that's right. But uh,
3: extradition treaties are very funny. Uh, but once if he was ever extradited to the United States, there are people here who have a real issue with him, and I wouldn't recommend to him to come here because...
1: Right.
0: Well, apparently uh, they're they're torturing him to a manner which the he's going to end up here in the United States, and we're not going to be able to interview him because he'll be completely uh, psychotic by the time he's here. They're, I don't uh, think he will be able to get
4: a, a fair trial here in
3: the he, States. He will not. I mean, I'm here in Costa Rica. I'm talking about in the United States. No, he's not gonna be able to get a fair trial. No way.
0: Now when all this was happening, you were an American citizen or were you already a Costa Rican citizen?
3: I am an American citizen.
0: So that so that's uh, that, was it didn't the, help. that was the that was a double edged sword. Yeah. The fact that you well, were an American living in Costa Rica well, didn't help you one bit.
1: Well but could, that's correct. I thought that if I ever
3: got to a, a jury trial they would hold it against me that I'm a uh, A traitor for having left the United States. No,
1: no. Well, but it doesn't just happen to U.S. citizens. Conrad Black is a well-known Canadian publisher, and he was railroaded similarly for the financings in the uh, Chicago Sun-Times, and he he got out of jail, but he feels that it was a wrongful prosecution, and he's complained about a lot of the same things that you're complaining about. Yeah,
3: yes. So I have a lot of examples of... uh, Prosecutor misconduct and how nothing happens to them. In fact, too often they
1: become judges. Right. And these guys that uh, are not ethical and don't do things
3: the right way, then they become judges. Uh, What can you expect from
0: them? Yeah, really. You would think that they they were able to uncover the the malfeasance that they themselves uh, were guilty uh, of. Well,
1: or they become something else. I think the worst example is Andrew Weitzman who was the deputy chief of the Mueller investigation. Perfect example. Nothing happened to him. a was well not only that he was involved in the Enron case and he put Arthur Anderson out of business. Yes.
2: That's a few thousand jobs.
1: Right. And then when they when the case got to the Supreme Court a couple of years later he lost nine to nothing.
0: Yeah, and why is he still why is he still a prosecutor? Why was Well,
1: he's now teaching at NYU Law School teaching law students how to do this.
3: Oh when
1: he was prosecuted and run. Yep, yep, yep. And you you can see the Mueller prosecution was very similar. They had nothing, and they should have stopped it a year before they ended it, but they they just kept going for political effect.
0: Unbelievable.
3: Absolutely, absolutely
4: terrible. And it was 100% personal vendetta.
1: Yep. They went after people and tried
3: to force them to, to do something against Trump. It was just crazy. That's not the United States that I'm used to. Now, so, do you still yeah. have your
0: casino today and you're living a normal life, or did you have to sell a casino? Well, no, I don't have my casino. I am living a semi-normal
3: life uh, because these kind of things. My, I had a business that had to go under uh, when I was in pre- uh, detained in the States a lot I lost a lot but all right I'm, I'm living a
0: semi-normal life <laughs> well well God bless you and uh the, thank you, you for
1: speaking out this uh people are going to have to t- start paying attention
0: yeah let's hope that's hey, hope that this interview I, I don't say anything terribly new in
3: my book but I think that a lot of people don't know a lot of the stuff that I mentioned it uh, that I mentioned in it so police state USA yes
0: yeah, Police State USA, and there's even a, a chapter called Alderbrecht which is probably going to interest a lot of people. Well,
1: right. The well, Oderbrecht is the uh, is a Brazilian, Brazilian firm. Are you topic? using it
0: as an example? Since I haven't read the book, we're you- using it as an example of the United States butting in in things that are not of their concern. Alderbrecht is a very uh, crooked Latin American deal. Yes.
3: Where they actually gave money to almost every politician in Latin America. But why is the United States getting in there and prosecuting? They have
1: nothing. No well, they, they they are they doing construction in with, Florida um, and Texas
3: with the International Football Federation. Right,
1: that's another and what
3: one. Does the United States have? Why do they have to butt in into that? Right, it's it's absolutely crazy. Agreed.
0: Just because,
3: just because they can is the answer.
0: Right, they also well, they you, you know that they did some construction here in South Florida and in Texas, and in Texas so, too. Yep. I didn't know. yep, yep, yep. Yeah, they're also here. And, of course, uh, there's also uh, they're trying to tie bricks businesses here with a civil works project they did in Cuba, in Mariel. Uh-oh. And uh, Mariel. Uh, <laughs>
3: well, Castro can give money to whoever he wants. That's going to be illegal.
0: Yeah, really. So that could be that could be it. So I'm looking forward to reading your book. And, uh Hopefully the people, you know, will use the podcast, uh, the recordings on our website of this interview, and uh, hopefully your book uh, gets a lot more readers, because we need to understand. Yeah.
1: attention must be paid to this issue.
0: Yeah, this police state Absolutely. stuff. I
3: appreciate the time you gave me in this program, gentlemen. Thank Alrighty. you. All right.
0: God bless you, man, and and stay free. I know it's, we say it all the time on <laughs> this show, but in your case, it really means something. So, uh... You're much to be admired. Thank you,
3: and, and we'll talk again sometime.
0: You bet.
1: Yeah, some of these prosecutors, like Andrew Weitzman, he completely destroyed—he he ended Arthur Anderson in, uh, in the Enron case in Houston. In fact, a couple of years ago I was at a conference, and a woman said that she didn't think that corporations were legal persons and that she would believe that corporations were persons when Texas executed one. And I said— Texas has executed one. His name was Arthur Anderson, and he was executed in Texas and by a wrongful prosecution by a federal prosecutor. So these what, things. What happen. became
0: of what What became of the founders of Arthur Anderson?
1: The, uh, it, it, just our, squalor? living their No, no, no. The, the, the 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 accounting firm was a partnership, and they were it was dissolved. Everyone lost
0: their jobs. Okay, but the actual owners of the firm that they live in squalor the rest of their lives? No,
1: or? they were. I mean, they were partners, so they. they so everybody
0: cashed out and they lived a well, the normal life. Well, they cashed
1: out, but their business is over. They they had to find other jobs.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, but they weren't. In, uh, they we, didn't go to prison. They didn't go to prison. But that's not America.
1: I mean, it, <laughs> it's
0: really it's really
1: disgusting.
0: We I, and it I all start. S- it all starts with these type of politicians, like the one we see here and inside the studio. You know the. You know he's got. Zero going on and there he's mouth at his mom. Who is that? Congressman Swordwell from Oh, Cross, he's
1: a total waste. A
0: total toad. And we see it all the time. This is so why I wonder if the This Trump... is why we hear. I mean, you understand. If you want to support us, this is this is the kind of program we have here on the Concrete Conservative. You just heard a, a gentleman, Jaime Ligador, a Cuban gentleman who built a casino in Costa Rica. And because some gambling debt by some freak who, who attended his place, who befriended him to extend his, mark, his his credit line, ends up implicating him in his scam. And guess what? It was like a perfect setup because if you have outstanding gambling debts. You can see how anybody could see it as loaning him money in this manner. And well, therefore laundering. The it's, it's
1: not, well, I think Jamie is very courageous to have done this. But it's not just his case. It happens a lot. You got the Mueller investigation was another case. Ted Senator Ted Stevens. Remember, that's how oh, yes. he Obamacare was, on... was passed. He, he was wrongly uh, prosecuted and nothing happened. Arthur Anderson was destroyed. Conrad Black. A Canadian publisher was also—I think he spent time in prison. Hal Woltz, who was called in, he was wrongly uh, prosecuted. Yeah,
0: we had him on our show, but he didn't give us the details. Yeah, well,
1: that's uh, General Michael Flynn. Now things are coming out that the FBI acted wrongly against him. Uh, And then we got Paul Manafort, uh, who—the facts of his case had been reviewed by the Department of Justice, and they had passed on prosecuting him. And now all of a sudden, because he was helping President Trump, he got—they went and got him. And then Roger Stone, who lives right here, he's going to be at the uh, Hialeah Republican Club. You should be go, uh, should be there in December at their meeting in Hialeah. I would love to be there. Well, uh, you you'll, you will. I'll be in Manhattan in December, but you should go see him. And he's a great story. But they sent a SWAT team of 17 uh, armed officers with ar fifteen, more than AR-15s, fully automatic. And he's living there with his wife, and they're both like... Uh, old-timers, like uh, uh, even older than me. So there's a lot of this going on. I think uh, Attorney General Barr has his hands full because he's got many things going on. But this is something that the Department of Justice needs to look at. And maybe President Trump, in his second term, will uh, will look at some executive orders. The other thing is the Supreme Court. There is no basis in the Constitution for this prosecutorial immunity there is no reason you know to to say oh you can you're immune from being liable for the excesses and the wrongs that you commit as a federal officer and i think if if the courts would start finding them uh, liable for the lying and the bringing in of false witness and i think you'll you'll see a lot less of this
0: I don't think we'll ever see less of this. Well,
1: we we got to see less, absolutely. We're we, never, uh, we're we're,
0: never going to see the less of it because— And I think it
1: goes back to what uh, our first speaker, Mike DeGrande, said. We just have to make the federal government less important.
0: But you guys do, say that all the time. Things. But then when you propose an idea that actually will make it less important, you call us crazy. Oh, okay. Which is, you got to reduce the size of the government yes. in one sweep over a two-week period by more than 20%, what? which means a lot fire of... Fire fu-
1: all the non-essential employees. Everybody, before you even
0: talk about anything else. At the next
1: government shutdown, fire all the non-essential it's, it's an, employees. It's a
0: week from now. I a, hope so. A, a, a week from now, there's going to be a shutdown for... Uh, there's a, going to be an impasse. And why would Trump want to... Deco- Best thing
1: to do, probably get rid of half the people at uh, Nationals Field who are booing Trump.
0: No, you don't understand. With this impeachment going on, they're asking for the Trump to sign absolutely no budget. Oh, and then there's right. a shutdown and an impeachment at the same
1: time. Fire them. Fire all non-essential personnel. We're
0: talking in Firehouse 4 right now. And it's all a perfect right. opportunity for him to say, you know what? Pink slips for everybody. Yep,
1: absolutely.
0: And massive crash of the real estate market in Northern Virginia and Southern Maryland and yep. all of D.C. Yep. Everybody has to sell their stuff. And get the hell out of Dodge. And get a job. And guess what?
1: Get a real job. They'll be talking
0: about that, and they won't be able to call the impeachment vote.
1: No, no, no. That doesn't matter. See, there you go. No, 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 no. But definitely uh, lay off all the non-essential personnel in the federal government.
0: And also—
1: All right, so we're going to switch to Jexit, Jewish exit from the Democrat Party with Alexandra Levine. Let's see.
0: This is the Concrete Conservative WSQF ninety four point five. You're speaking live on the air. Who do I have the pleasure to speak with?
4: Alexandra
0: Levine. Oh, this is going to be a change of tune. We've uh, we've talked about uh, excessive power on the on the uh, on behalf of the prosecutors in this country. So now we're going to talk about Jexit. I love this name, that everything is... Absolutely. I mean, we've been talking for an hour and a
1: quarter about the excesses of the administrative state and the wrongdoings of federal and state prosecutors. And now I want to know, why is the Jewish community supportive of such big government? Tell us, Alexandra. Well, the problem is we have
4: democratic socialism that's creeping into our nation.
0: Creeping? It's already here. It's in
4: there. It's already there. Yes. been evolving and it's very sad that in 2019 the term anti-semitism is coming to the forefront especially with the squad right but people like bernie sanders and adam schiff and jerry nadler who are known uh jews and what they do is they denounce their judaism they consider judaism a burden to them yep. so they do everything un-jewish because they're globalists and they want and they want to control you they want the government to control you and tell you what to do so they do everything that's un-Jewish and they're they're being controlled by George Soros who is a known
0: anti-jew and he's right. a globalist and a communist and a socialist himself. You so know I think you guys, I think you all um, you sell them short by saying they're anti-jew when in fact they're just atheists and people well, who are both. that's both people they who consider are atheists
4: religion a burden to them they consider their religion a burden to them Well
0: I don't believe what I the point um, well, I think you should go ahead and call them what they are Call them atheists. You know, they can say they're Jews because they were born Jews, but they're not. No, they, they, well, they, well, Bernie they hate. Bernie Sanders
4: is the only one that's come out and said I'm an atheist. Um, See what I mean? Um, I didn't even know that. <laughs> and I yeah, just said it. Jerry Nadler never
0: said that. Yeah, um, atheists operate differently than we, than we uh, God-fearing people. And, you know, only atheists only atheists will rationalize the irrational and that's the vast majority of the power base in the Democratic Party, are atheist people. Even Pelosi, who's sitting there, Italian descent, you think she's she's a fake
1: Catholic. Yeah, Yeah.
0: she's an atheist, and uh, they believe in government. So what is it that the Jews are planning to do in order to— they're probably the key to New York, the key to Massachusetts, the key to all those northeastern states is the Jewish vote. The only
1: vote where the Jews are swing voters, I think, is Florida.
4: Yeah, that's— there's a lot of Jews in the Texas area, in Houston, uh, in Dallas, Fort
1: Worth. Yeah, but they're um, conservative. I'm sorry? They're conservative. I lived in Houston for four years.
0: And you know that the Jews are conservative?
1: That's Mostly, very rare. For the most part. They walk to the synagogue.
4: Right, there's a lot, Right, but there's a lot of um, moderate Republican Jews. There are a lot of Democrats, moderate right uh, Jews. Um, that are crossing over. So I tour all over the country, and I speak to the Jewish community all the time, and I've been going to synagogues nationwide. The average American person does not believe in democratic socialism. They will not vote for it. They will not accept it. They won't tell you to your face that they'll vote for Donald Trump, but when they go into that ballot box in November,
0: they will. So we are going to get our 40-state landslide. I'm sorry? Are we going to get that 40-state landslide that I've been predicting?
4: socialism again is pushed to the forefront the average american person is not going to vote for it they will deny it they will reject it i but, mean the economy is doing really well under president trump and you know promises me
0: okay so now we have we have a situation where since i stood corrected are you still on the air yeah i'm still here. okay um so if, if New York can't be swayed by the Jewish vote in, in, in New York City or...
4: There are, there are certain parts of New York. Manhattan is tough. Brooklyn can be swayed. Uh, certain parts of Long Island and Staten Island can be swayed. You know, there's a, there's a renowned Jewish man named Deb Heiken. Now, he is a registered Democrat, but he votes Republican. Right. And he works hardcore every single day in Brooklyn, in Williamsburg and other areas to get Jewish people to vote Republican and that's what he's going to be doing, and, and I I work with him. Okay, but um,
1: but, but I've, I've been reading that there have been them. a lot of. I've been reading there have been a lot of attacks in New York City on Jews. Are they waking up?
4: Yes, they are, and that is the whole point of We have people that are giving us their testimonials. We're interviewing them. They're telling us that the Democratic Party has left them. They feel that it's left them. They're seeing the light, like the African community, or excuse me, the black community saw in 2016 and 2018. And they're starting to cross the aisle. They
1: really are starting to cross over the aisle. Okay, now we we had 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 a a guest here. We had a Jewish guest, Alan Huber, from up in uh, Palm Beach County. Where are you based?
4: So I'm based in D.C., but um, Hashtag is based in Broward County. Okay, good. That's a good place to be. Yeah, that's the place. I mean, I will be campaigning hard in the Florida area. Um, coming up in 2020, um, my roots is Sarasota County. That's where I was born and raised. And okay. Sarasota County is actually becoming a battleground county because a lot of liberal Jews from New York, from Massachusetts, from Virginia, from um, uh, which call it um, Delaware, Rhode Island, they're all, Connecticut. They're all moving down to Florida in Sarasota County, and they're bringing their liberalism with them. Oh my and, God! And the whole point of my organization, and and, and that's what we're doing, is to educate. The democratic liberals that come to sarasota county and, and 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 hernando county and so on that when you come you need to assimilate to the city you need to understand that you're coming in here and you need to not bring your liberalism with you
1: because that's the and, reason and you I mean, left they
4: left their they left their states for a reason they're not mm-hmm. sobers anymore these people are becoming permanent residents
1: of the state of florida well yeah in, you're in, so in, it, in texas we had a t-shirt that said don't californicate my texas
4: I mean, well, People are nervous about Texas becoming blue, but I just I'm nervous about
0: Florida because of the I-4 corridor of Puerto Ricans that are really pissed off at Trump moving to Orlando. The gay community also is flooding Orlando area. I'm really worried about our 26 electoral votes going to an opposition just out of protest for Trump and less the Puerto yeah, but, Rican.
4: Yeah, but if you look at the counties, there's not enough votes in that county to to overturn and to flip um, uh, uh, excuse me, Florida blue. Um, because I know the math.
0: Okay, um, how, about, I, how, about, how about Trump not succeeding in Broward, Monroe, and Dade, and yet he it wasn't was it for the Cuban-American vote here in Dade. I don't think he would have won Florida, and that was by the skin of the... But
4: also, but also what um, what a lot of these pundits do um, is they'll tell you, oh, they, we haven't finished counting the votes in Broward County. We still haven't finished counting the votes. So they they trick the psyche of the American voters into thinking that Trump's going to lose Florida. But what people forget is that the panhandle is in central time zone they, they they're still counting the votes um nine o'clock p.m so even if president trump lost broward county miami-dade county palm beach county he still wins because of the entire panhandle takes over and and gets in the state of florida that was one of the reasons why he won that's actually the map to win the gov- to win the governorship of the state of florida my father actually wrote the map on how a governor runs the state, how a governor wins the state
0: of Florida, how a president wins the state of Florida. So, so DeSantis, you're saying that DeSantis won in the Panhandle. I'm he won sorry? big. Ron DeSantis won the governor's race in the Panhandle.
4: Exactly, and exactly, and so and so did U.S. Um, Rick Scott, that, and that's how Rick Scott won the governorship. Now, now I see it. Now, my father and I, because my father's
0: rewriting the map. And, and and what? Let the audience know in what position. Your father's in what position? It's important that the audience knows. Your father, in what position is he?
4: Well, I don't really, to be honest, I don't really speak for my father. Um, My father can go on air himself and tell you what he does. But my father has been in the political circle, in the centennial circle, for about 35 years. My father exited from the Democratic Party during the Richard Nixon years. Wow. My father told me recently that when he was a registered democrat he never ever voted for a democrat for president he always voted for a republican because of their stance on israel and because of how they uh, because of the economy um, you know that, that that was one of the, that was one of the main reasons
0: well i'm going to well, post i'm, I'm going to post something to you you tell me if you agree with this and i'm trying to make sense of why the jews are supportive of the democratic party and this is the best explanation i got was makes absolute sense to me, and it's kind of fresh in my mind. The, the biggest fear that Jews have is large majorities because of the, their suffering they went through when a large majority of people persecuted them. And the Democratic Party is encouraging incremental uh, minority influx into countries. Therefore, Jews are much more comfortable in a group of people where there are a lot of small minorities— that they can fit into and therefore not fear any large majorities. But one of the minorities that the Democrats are bringing in are Muslims.
4: Excuse me, it goes back to when my ancestors immigrated here. They survived the Holocaust. They came here via sponsorship to Ellis Island to New York. There was a Democrat president at the time but there was FDR. So they had to assimilate to the country because they lost absolutely everything. Right. So that was kind of ingrained in them and they passed it down to their children and their children passed it down to their children. But people are seeing... That the Democratic Party of F D R, of Harry Truman, of J F K is gone. It's lost. It doesn't exist anymore. So those Jews are crossing are educating their children and their children's children to see the light and, and to really and to cross over and to vote Republican, to vote for a party that supports Israel, to vote for a party that will help that, that puts America first and puts your kids first and puts your grandchildren first so that you can succeed so that the children to succeed you. My grandparents, my great grandparents came to this country so that I would succeed them. And that's—I mean—that's the whole point. That's—that's that's, that's what young millennials don't understand. This whole term "progressive" that the squad uses is a misused term. Progressivism means to move forward. They retrogress. They go backwards. And oh, so absolutely. I, I talk about that all the time. That they use the wrong term. They do it on purpose for propaganda purposes,
0: because it sounds good to say, well, we're progressive, but they're not progressive at all. They are retrogressors. Well, how about we just call them dead? Uh, the progressives have died in 2012 as soon as the Tea Party showed up, and why people in the media keep on repeating, the progressive movement has, has been dead for, of what, six or seven uh, but years? But
1: socialism goes on.
0: Socialism and progressivism, although they they, they operate uh, in tangent with each other, the progressive movement has been dead, and it's time for us to repeat it over and over and over again.
4: Well, th- we, we are with President Trump. President Trump goes forward all the time with his agenda. President Trump pushes forward to educating our young people, to helping our economy, putting America first. Wouldn't you say an America First agenda is kind of a referendum of a progressive movement? Because it is progressive, because he wants the American people to do well.
0: Okay, but now you're, now you're falling into a trap because you're using it for something... Positive, and the progressive movement doesn't have a, a single thing it can say. Not from the FDR days, not from the Theodore Roosevelt days, not there, not through the Woodrow Wilson. There's nothing the progressives have brought to this country that has been beneficial. It's only bankrupted the country. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not
4: talking about. We need a progressive movement. I mean, not, I'm sorry, a progressive group. I'm saying the, the word "progressive." If you identify it in the dictionary, oh, it means to go forward.
0: Right, right, right. But we can't use that word anymore. It's already been misused.
4: <laughs> okay. Let me finish my point. Okay. Very important point, Alexandra. I, I go all over the country and the world, and I talk to a lot of people.
1: Yep. Now, Alexandra, let me
0: ask when you. What's the finisher? Okay.
4: When I watch Fox News and I see a rally in New York City with Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders, and they say Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez the progressive. It is a misleading headline that the media puts up. She is not progressive.
0: Yeah, she's regressive, yes. but well, She's socialist. So
4: my point, to, the, to the young millennials, which I have to educate as myself a young millennial, because Ocasio-Cortez has 4 million Twitter viewers, which are all young millennials, the young millennials need to understand that the term progressive is being misused by the left, by the squad. The term progressive if you look it up in the dictionary means to go forward. Right. President Trump wants to push this country forward. Right. He is the one progressing
1: the American dream. Okay, now let me ask you about some specific candidates. Uh, up in Broward County, or actually Palm Beach County, Laura Loomer is running. What do you are you familiar with her campaign? Um, yes and no as um, a
4: 501 501- we are not allowed to comment on anybody's campaigns we're not allowed to endorse any candidates okay um but you know we are familiar with laura loomer, laura loomer is actually coming to israel with us in may 2020 um, oh. which is going to be a great trip with united west of town trento um but yes i i am familiar with laura loomer um i know some of the people that are working on her campaign I think she's. I think she's great for putting herself out in the ring. She's a fighter. Yep. Um, you know, and I think it's going to open up the door for more young Jewish Republican women to to run for office, and young women in general to run for office. There's not a lot of Republican women in Congress or in the Senate, and I think this will really open up the door to that. And I give her a lot of credit for doing it. Um, you know, I, I wish you know, I wish her success um, in what she does.
0: Yeah, we've we've had her a couple times here on the show. I went to meet her for the first time at the uh, the, the Democratic uh, debates. We were part of the uh, the, the crowd out in protesters the protesters outside. Yeah, we were out there. We were having a ball, and yeah, I would love to see her elected because she's taken on the good fight. She's you know been banned from you know, all the social media sites as I have, so I have to at least that in common, and uh, I'm really hoping. That she gets that kind of support. Now, when you say you're uh, 501c4, that's political pack, correct?
4: No, we are not a pack. Okay, are a, uh, we, please we let
0: the audience PAC. know the difference.
4: Um, a pack is someone that gets a bunch of donors, and they, you know, they, their donors pay for them to travel everywhere. A pack endorses candidates. Um, we don't. We are a educational not for profit. Um, a 501c4 is an educational organization. Um, that's the difference. And, the, uh, and we're, grassroots, we're grassroots. We're a grassroots coalition. Now, as a 501c4, we are allowed We are allowed to, take, to have donors and sponsors that want to donate or sponsor any event or town hall that we do. We did a huge brunch um, recently. It was last Sunday with Roger Stone and Stephen Rogers at Trump's Hotel in D.C., and we did get sponsors to, and, and donors to, to sponsor and donate towards the event. We will be doing town halls nationwide where people can sponsor and donate um, to come to our, to, to, uh, to to host um, or not host, excuse me, to donate or sponsor the event. That is proper protocol. A pack is completely different.
1: Okay, can you give us your website? Yes.
4: Yeah, so the website is jexitusa.org. J e x i t u s a .dot That's our that's our website. If you want to go to Israel um, with us. Like I said, we're going in May 2020. We're taking reservations now. It's going to be a beautiful trip. It's going to be five days in Jerusalem, three days in Tel Aviv, one day in 'er Beersheba, one day in Tabir. We will be visiting the new embassy in Jerusalem. We will be hopefully meeting David Friedman, our US ambassador to Israel, as well as other dignitaries and ambassadors, former ambassadors. Um, And we will be going to the Golan Heights and seeing Ramah Trump, the famous Ramah Trump. It's a very, it's going to be a very historic trip. Um, if you've never been to Israel before, a tour is the best is the best way to go. If you haven't been to Israel in ten years, it's great to go again.
0: Yeah, you're actually enticing me. I've never been to Israel, and I've always wanted to go. There you go. So this I is mean, this is the time
4: know, Tom Trenton does a great job um, with this uh, with um, this trip. He's been putting on these these trips for a long time, almost ten years, and he gets about a hundred people plus, and we go everywhere and we explore the country. And it's just it's going to be wonderful it's to be
0: now and what's the cost what's the food. cost for the trip let our audience know do they
4: uh, well we're doing we have a500 a dollars deposit right now a first deposit is due December 1st um, the whole trip altogether is about four thousand dollars you do get a hundred dollars off your final um, purchase of the trip
0: wow that's really exciting
4: that's a, it's, a, it's a good price for ten days.
0: Now, go ahead and repeat that website again, because this is radio. You have oh, to do everything twice.
4: Yeah, jexitusa.org jex, dot org.
0: Wow, that's fan, that's fantastic. Now, is there uh, is there anything else that uh, in Israel that uh, will have you to believe that uh, Netanyahu's victory is going to expand itself, or well, or is it going to stay? Well, who in is it? the
1: prime minister of
4: Israel I, today? I, I think that I think that we're going to go to a third election. Um, which Netanyahu, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, didn't want to do, because when you go to more and more elections, it kind of it, it, the Prime Minister thinks that it will lessen the chance of him to be reelected again. Right. Um, that's why he didn't want to go through a third election. Um, but unfortunately, that's what's going to happen. Um, it all comes down to Avigdor Lieberman, to be honest with you. He's the tough Russian Jew um, that's in the mix. I mean, he could end the whole thing right now by just being a part of. Um, Bibi Netanyahu's government, um, but he's causing a lot of um, struggle.
0: Well, he probably he wants probably well, something that Netanyahu doesn't want to give him. He, he wants to be <laughs> yeah, prime minister. Correct.
4: But the thing is that Netanyahu, Bibi Netanyahu is very heavily connected with the Haruzim. We call them the Hasidim, the very religious group. And um, Avigdor Lieberman has an issue with the Haruzim because they do not they're, they they are the exception to the rule in serving the army. Um, In Israel, you you are required at the age of 18 to serve men or women. Yeah, everyone. But there are exceptions to the rule. There are exceptions. The Haruzim, of course, they're the religious sect of Judaism. They're ultra-Orthodox. They do not work on Shabbat. They do not um, use electricity on Shabbat. They keep kosher inside and outside of their home. They walk to shul. And they're the ones that practice Judaism the most. And they're the exception to the rule in terms of serving. So Avigdor Lieberman is trying to change that so that the high regime does serve the army, and you know it's it's you know it's an issue. It's a big it's a big issue.
0: Yeah, it is it's, a big issue. But at the same time, The
4: government are very Republican, and uh, you know the the media terms is they're very far right. I hate that term, but they're just they're very conservative. They're just very 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 conservative. Now, how
0: how big of the population? What segment do they have? Five percent, ten percent? What of Jews? Of among well, among Israelis, what percent
1: million Jews that live in Israel. No, but the ultra conservative no, no, how, what uh, how how large are they? What percentage know,
0: are, I'm sorry, I
1: misunderstood. What question. percentage of the Jews people. are ultra conservative in this uh extreme party that doesn't get drafted?
4: Oh, well is it, I'll be honest, it depends where it depends where you live. So if you live in Jerusalem, the majority of people that live in Jerusalem are Orthodox. If you live in Tel Aviv, the majority of the Jews that live in Tel Aviv are more secular. Right. It just depends on, uh, it depends on what, what area of Israel that you live in. I would say that Israel has become more secular um, in the last 15 years. Okay, so I, I,
0: now now, yeah. now the people get a—strictly um, because I'm learning and I want the audience to learn, too. Yeah. In the parliamentary system in Israel, how, how do the voting pr- uh, precincts take place, per se? Is it by districts— P- people vote for a party list a party list and the list has to be approved by the party
1: right and okay. they have numbers by yeah. by who gets the so there's one guy two number one number two number three number four it's a yeah right
4: yeah they set, like they set up like a system like Abidur Lieberman I'm just saying for example like, he'll have ten people in his in his um government and then in his
1: party. In his, and his party
4: in his party list of
0: people in that government no, you're so talking about cabinet, so his I've cabinet. I've
4: never voted in an Israeli election before, so I don't want to say. Um, but, you know, when people are going to vote, they're voting either for the Likud party, the, the Labor
1: party, the Kadima party. They're voting for different parties. Yeah, they vote and for the, parties, not for the individual and, and candidates. And
4: they have to get to 60 votes. have to be 60. So the reason that there was a runoff is because there wasn't 60 votes. I mean, the reason that Netanyahu wasn't declared the winner is because there wasn't 60 But at the end of it, with the other added votes, through President Rivlin, President Rivlin decided that Netanyahu got more of the majority. He has 28 days to form a government, plus he was added an extra 14-day extension to form the government. Because he did not form the government, he turns it over to his opponent, the Blue and White Party, and they give them 28 days to form the government. And if they can't form the government in 28 days, then you go into another election.
0: And that's, what you, and that's what you see happening.
4: I'm sorry? And
0: that's what you see happening.
4: Yeah, that's what you see happening. Because the thing is, the Blue and White Party is run by Arab Israelis. And there is by no, I mean, Netanyahu will be darned if, if, if Israel is run by Arab Israelis. Because they'll never get anything done. The Israelis will have no control. And he said, you know, he said to the, the head of the Blue and White Party, Gantz, he said, you know, you can't bring your, you, you, you can't, you know, you, you, you have to work with us. You really, really, really have to work with us. You have to be able to sit at the
0: table with us. Um, and and and, and Gans is so disgusted with Netanyahu. He won't give him. A, he won't give a a piece. Right. He would rather be in bed with Arabs than be in bed with Jews. I don't get that. This Gantz guy is also military, correct? Yeah. Oh, you're saying that Gantz would rather be in bed with the Arabs. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And then then. Yeah, ju- that is correct. That's correct. It's unbelievable. So
4: Netanyahu said, "If you if you side with the Arabs." I will knock it. I will contest it every single day. I will contest you, contest you, contest you, contest you, contest you.
0: And they also out-reproducing uh, Jews, correct? Not the Arab, necessarily. The Arab yes. population has uh, got a higher birth rate. Not necessarily.
4: Yes. I mean, you have to think about it. Six and a half million Jews died in the Holocaust. There's only 15 and a half million Jews in the world. So that means the Jewish people haven't been able to multiply since that, you know, since, since the annihilation of us. So right. we really are a minority. Yeah, they really, really, really are a minority and then
0: you're in a really now. bad neighborhood on top of that,
4: <laughs> right? And that has to do with because the majority of Jews are very secular now. They're from they're what we call they're part of the Reform movement. The Orthodox are the ones that are having the five, the six, the seven, the eight children, um, and, and they, they better they better
0: yeah. Not, yeah. And, and they're then, doing then, that in Brooklyn too. And they better not stop. That's right. all I can because say. They're
4: more religious or they're Chabad, they're, they're what we call the Lubavitchers in
0: Brooklyn. Now, what are Lababachers?
4: Five, six, seven, eight, nine children. In Williamsburg, you'll get a little bit more religious. You'll get some Hasidim in there as well. Um, those are the ones that wear, like, the bat, the black hats or what we call the payas or the, the tendrils, the hair tendrils in front of their hair. Yep. I mean, in front of their ears, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more religious.
0: Like Hasidic but, and Sephardic, Right, oh. exactly. And then you
4: have the Jews in Muncie, New York, and they have five, six, seven, eight children as well. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the Orthodox of the ones right now that are really, you know, helping to multiply
0: um the the you know the the, the Jewish religion. So so, um, so so keep them out of the war and keep them from having to enlist in no, the army. No, 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 I'm surprised that they <laughs> So they being... can reproduce.
4: Yeah. Well, that's only in Israel, though.
1: yeah. yeah. Sure. I'm surprised that they're Orthodox Jews and they're not willing to fight.
4: It's not that they're not well it's not that they're not willing to fight, it's just you know, they this is what they practice and this is you know, they you know, they dedicate their lives
1: to Hashem, to God. Yeah. Well somebody they, had to you know, fight for Joshua. Leader.
4: You know i mean god made the world in you know six days on the seventh day he rested
1: that's fine we're, um, We we we're, there, we're, i mean
4: but there are there are there are orthodox jews in israel that do you know feel compelled to go into the army so you will get those exceptions yep you really will um what's really interesting about the trip is that we'll, we we will be talking to um american jews that have moved to israel um that have dual citizenship. They still keep their dual citizenship. They still vote in our American elections, and 95% of them voted for Trump in 2016. Sure. So we will be talking to those to those Jewish people that have moved to Israel and saying, you know, why do you see the light? Why why do you support the president? And why aren't liberals or American Jews in America that live in America? Why aren't they supporting the president like you are? Where is the divide? How can we bring everybody together as one?
0: Yeah, and it goes back to what I was saying about the, uh, the cultural uh, obsession with uh, incremental and staying among a bunch of small minorities. I mean, the theory seems to be holding true. You
4: know, because I, I lived in Israel for a year. I've been to Israel. When I go in May, it'll be my third time. When you go to Israel, you're surrounded by the holidays. You're surrounded by people practicing around you. You start to practice more yourself. You start to understand it more. You start to become more observant. So that is a big factor as well. As opposed to America, you know, depending on where you live. Yeah, I mean, we're all secular. In the county, there was no Jews. There was no synagogues. There was like one, two synagogues in, in Sarasota County. That was it. So when you when you grow up in an area where it's like very secluded and segregated, you don't really practice. You don't really feel the practice. I mean, I lived in Sarasota. I couldn't walk to school. There's not a kosher restaurant or a kosher deli in my area. So, so, so it was very, very, very different. That's, that's why when people make Aliyah they move to Israel, they actually get more involved in the religion. They practice. They, they kind of have to practice because, um, you know, everything is closed on Shabbat. During Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, everything is closed. The roads are closed. You can't, you know, on Yom Kippur, you cannot drive. So you feel it. You know, you really feel it when you're there.
0: Now, is there any room... Uh,
4: there's a big, so there's a big difference there, too. It's a big comparison.
0: Now, uh, what about... Uh,
4: America more accepting. You know, Israel is like, you know, this is your religion, you're Jewish, and you know, this is it.
0: Yes. Uh, now, is there any room for that, that same exception for Christians from America that want to become Israeli citizens, or is that impossible?
4: Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Um, it's a little longer process, um, but, yeah, that's, yeah
0: because i I, w- I would think it would benefit israel to dilute the arab uh reality to have more christians being well, what they
1: want is more arab christians
0: right well yeah arab christians that's a good point and there's and so those would be like uh that's a co- bit of a conflict too cuz they're no, palestinians no no
1: no, no. there're plenty of arab christians in uh not only in israel yeah, they're fr- but they're also from lebanon in, uh, lebanon mesopotamia Syria, uh, Iraq is now the new name for Mesopotamia. Uh, in, in Egypt, there are a lot of Ar- uh, Arab Christians, Coptic yeah, Christians, and they're persecuted by the Muslims.
0: So is there—this um, is solely for the audience. The audience must be uh, really enthralled with these ideas because, you know, you know, our radio station— I was is also
4: going to make the point, which I didn't, is that hashtag Jack, that we're an all-inclusive group. So we work with our Christian brothers and sisters. We work with blacks. We work with Hispanics. We work with Native Americans, Asian Americans. So we don't. We're not just. We don't just have Jews in our organization. We work with everybody. Um, so that's a big difference between us and a lot of groups out there. And to come to Israel, you know, everyone's like, "Oh, do you have to be Jewish to go." No, you don't. You can be Christian and come to our group. You can be. Um, you can practice whatever religion you want and, and come to Israel with us.
0: Well, what I want to do um, is. To what I'm, I'm dying to do is like a bucket list. As a Catholic myself, is to walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, um, from the you know from the Old Testament,
1: that's a, yeah, the New Testament,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. For, sorry, from the New Testament. Yep. And uh, I've always wanted to do that. Of course, if I went with you all, I wouldn't be able to do that. But that's okay. You might be able to go on your own trip. Uh, wait, Come on. Well,
4: I'd have to take a look at the trip, but I, I think we may be going to
0: where Jesus was born. Yes, that's...
4: Um, where Jesus walked, um, and we'll definitely be visiting the famous Church of the Holy Sepulchre.
0: Oh my God! Sorry. Yeah, that'll that'll drop me yeah. to my knees. Yeah, just yeah, this...
4: I mean, President Trump went in there too. I mean, it's very, it's ex- I've been in that church. It's extremely historic. Um, and you
0: and, you yeah. you get the feeling. <laughs> oh
4: yeah, I mean, well, well, when we go to the the Western Wall, we call it the Kotal. I mean, you feel God's presence there, and a lot of you know Christians go in there. They write a message, a prayer, and they stick it in the wall. It's very significant. Um, and it's just, everything in Israel is just extremely historic and beautiful. We have the Christian quarter, the Jewish quarter, the Arab quarter. I mean, you get so much um, from being there. You never want to leave, to be honest with you. I mean, I was, I was sad when I had to leave after living there for a year. And the, 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 the Israelis are, are, are really nice people. They love Americans. They protect us. They stand side by side with us. It's not what the media perceives it to be. It's not, a, you know, an, a, a war zone. You know, it's it's just it's such it's just a beautiful, beautiful country. I felt safe living there than living in New York City, to be honest with you. And a lot of other people have said that to me as well.
0: Okay, here's another here's a uh, here's a, a misogynist question from a male. <laughs> it, um, is, it, is it true that you get to see uh, bikinis and M16 rifles on the beach? Oh, that's so sexy, man! <laughs> okay, guys, you heard it here well, we on Blink do it Radio. Here. Bring your AR bikinis and AR
4: fifteen in Jerusalem, and oh, and just to let you know, on our trip we will be heavily guarded and protected by the Israeli Defense Force um, because we are a tour. You know, we'll be using charter buses, which are more safer than using the regular community buses. But you know, we say Baruch Hashem, praise be to God. There hasn't been a suicide bombing on a bus. In a very, very, very long time, um, but but being a part of a tour, you know, we have insurance, so we always, you know, we, we protect, you know, the people that are with us. You know, one of the main things that people ask us before going to the trip is, "Oh, is there, Are we going to be protected?" And there's israeli soldiers all over the place, all over the place. Like I said, you you feel safer walking there at three o'clock in the morning by yourself than walking New York City at three o'clock in the morning by yourself.
0: Well. That is, uh, I think this is the. I think this, uh, this is the moment in time where, if I'm ever going to do something, it's time for you me to just go. just do it. You know, yep. gotta go. Yeah, and I get to meet you, and uh, uh, hopefully, Laura Loomer is going to be going, right? So you said that's. Yep, she's definitely going. Yep, she's going. So, right. it's, so it's like. Whole group of people going. So the star of David is pointing right on my forehead, and it's time for me <laughs> to just get up and go. Well, thank you, thank you very much for the call. It's it's been very inspiring. And as a Catholic you know we we're taught to to feel and and to feel jewish we just we're jews and uh it's just a, it's all my Catholic friends have been to Israel already, and uh it's time for me to be part of the uh, part of the team that has gone there you go we would love
4: it we would love to have you we'd love to have anyone that's listening um you know to your show. Um, it's gonna, like I said, it's gonna be a great trip. I'm very excited. I haven't been to Israel in ten years. I'm way overdue. Um, my father is actually, my parents are gonna be coming on the trip. Uh, my father hasn't been there since 1997, so he's overdue. Um, but it's, it's so, like I said, Israel is so historic. Um, it's such a wonderful, wonderful
0: place. Now, do you have and siblings? Do you have siblings, or are you the? I old? have an
4: older sister. I have an sister. She went um, when she was 17. She went on a. Um, on a a conservative Jewish group called USY, which stands for United Synagogue Youth. Um, She did a, um, it was a six week um, tour. It was five weeks in Israel, one week in Europe. And she had the best time of her life. I did birthright at the age of 18, that's a free trip. Um, It's a 10 day trip for young uh, Jewish Americans, uh, part part of the Hillel organization. And then I did a study abroad with the conservative Yeshiva um, when I lived there um, for about a year before I went to NYU. Okay, oh, so uh, I mean, it's great.
0: now uh, uh, yeshiva is what for the audience? That means a school, right?
4: Is yeshiva stands for school? So conservative yeshiva means it's a mix of boys and girls. Um, when I was there, there was girls becoming rabbis, girls becoming cantors. We call them women of the pulpit. Um, and I did all Judaic studies there. I'm a cantorial soloist today, meaning that I can go to any synagogue in the country in the world and conduct services. And I, I'm certified to do that um and it's just you know it was great i met such wonderful people and i literally lived five minutes away from the prime minister's humble abode because israel is such a small country everything's kind of on top of each other uh, but i lived in a very nice area in jerusalem and i'm actually a direct descendant of a prime minister Moshe moisha who was the second prime minister of israel the first foreign minister of israel, or finance minister of israel excuse me and um so that's so pri- so in terms of prime ministers. You know, I take that to heart, especially with Bibi Netanyahu. He's the longest reigning prime minister in the history of Israel to date, and just his history and his background, and what a great man he is, and how learned, he is, how he's kept the country of Israel safe since he's been the prime minister. Um, you know, I take that to heart.
0: Yeah, well, you must have been—you um, um, must have been really impressed when. Uh, uh, so you must have been very proud of, uh, of the Republican Congress when they invited him personally when Obama was shunning him mm-hmm. and the Congress extended an invitation. And,
4: and, and I show you the young millennials, the contrast between when Barack Obama...
0: You don't have to say it. We kind of know.
4: To the White House. It's day and night. And also, Prime Minister Netanyahu has a very strong relationship with Jared Kushner, which is President Trump's son-in-law. He's known him since he was a young child. So there's history there. I mean, they've been good friends for many, many years. There's history there, so I think it, I think that's why I see Jewish people now waking up to see that we need to stand side by side with, with our biggest ally, Israel. We actually do trade agreements with Israel. We use their agriculture, we use their intelligence, we use their energy. We use help, their help, and it's really important that we keep that alliance strong.
0: And not not to mention really a, a lot of Florida, people.
4: Former Governor Scott, now U.S. Senator Scott, he formed what we call FIBA, which is called the Florida-Israel Business Accelerator. That is a trade agreement with Israel and Florida, and we use their Israelis' agriculture, their energy, their commerce, and their technology, and their intelligence. And we've and Governor Scott implemented that in 2010. And that's why it, that's why Governor, that was one of the reasons why Governor Saw it was there at the move of the embassy because he has that strong connection with Israel and he's been keeping that trade agreement for you know nine years now. And then when Governor Ron DeSantis took over, he kept that trade agreement alive. If Andrew Gillum would have become our governor, he would have cut that trade agreement with Israel. Oh, for he sure. Lost a lot of stuff. Yeah, but meanwhile, he lost
1: everything. but meanwhile, <laughs> he lost Alexandra. Here in, here in Broward County, it looks like Sheriff Scott Israel is going to get reelected. No way. Because of Jewish and African-American support. Oh, my. Oh, I read the opposite. I read that Governor Ron DeSantis found a way for him to be fired. He did fire him, but he's running again next year. Oh,
0: my God. So, so
1: you have to get—
4: The people in Broward County, the Jews and— you know the people that live in Broward County and beyond. Hopefully, they see the light. You know, I I think they're seeing the light. I mean, Andrew Pollock, Jewish Republican. You know, he just wrote a, a, a story about his daughter right. and what happened, and his his son Hunter Pollock has been you know going around you know really um, helping people in need that have lost children right. due to just the heinous no. crimes. Um,
1: so let me ask you: is Andrew Pollock is Andrew Pollock a Jewish Republican?
4: Yes. Yeah.
1: Okay, that's good to know, because he was very hesitant.
4: He didn't really tell anybody until after his daughter died and he went to the White House.
1: Well, he's been Um, very hesitant to... to...
4: He's become a big sensation.
1: Okay, but he's Um, been very hesitant. He's been reluctant to criticize the government-operated public schools. Well,
4: he's really focused on gun safety, and he's really... um, uh, excuse me, not gun. State, I'm sorry. He, he's really focused on fixing our gun laws in this country, mm-hmm. and he's really working wholeheartedly with Governor Ron DeSantis and with Rick Scott, actually. Okay. Um, to, to to make it safer for kids to go to school, and so we don't have incompetence again, like we did at, at the high school. I mean, he is going to fight every single day, you know, to so that his daughter's death didn't go in vain.
0: Okay. Yes, it's yeah. It's uh, I was there for the first. For the, the first anniversary of the Parkland shooting, and I was really looking really hard to try to find him. I couldn't find him anywhere. I uh, hung around his...
4: Let me tell you something. That man hasn't smiled a day since his daughter died. Yep. He's not smiled, and he will never smile. Because what Nicholas Cruz did, that animal, and what Scott Israel and others did, to have that guy come into the school and, and, and do what he did, they decided they did nothing.
1: But, they, th- but the, I, I traced the problem back to the President Obama who wanted to stop the school to prison pipeline so called and so what the the Stop promise, reporting
0: stop the, reporting Yeah, know.
1: they stopped reporting their crimes. He had like thirty plus times that he could have been arrested and it wasn't reported. He had a clean record.
4: I, yeah. I mean that's very common amongst the Obama administration. Um, I mean we've seen that a lot in a lot of cases, you know, that have happened I and mean, look at Kate Steinle, what happened to her. Yep. It's very sad. San Bernardino, look what happened there. Of what happened in, um, you know, Dayton, Ohio, and Fort Worth, Texas, um, with the gun shootings over there? I mean, it's so sad. And of course, the Democrats they blame, you know, the gun owners.
0: Yeah, as the if gun. the gun that shoots the itself. Person
4: them, the person that's pulling the trigger.
0: Right. Yeah. There's uh there's an opportunity, um, to somehow uh a really I'm really anxious to uh, meet Mr. Pollock because he's probably the only person at this moment in Florida who can really put a, a shine a light on something I've been working so hard for, which is to put parents in charge of schools by calling uh, intra-school votes. And uh, I need to vote. I was the first to use the law in Florida's history. It created a legal p- precedent. But I feel like I've done more, more bad than good because I haven't been successful at getting it amended so that parents don't have to vote against teachers in these elections. And I believe he's the person who could probably... Uh, Help me with that, because if you put parents in control of the money, uh, once they win the election, they get the building. They don't have to pay rent for the building. They take the school district school from them, and you can arm the teachers. You can put up the signs that says that we use deadly force to protect the safety of our children like they do in Tennessee and Kentucky. You'll always be in control of the school budget, so you can... The the sky's the limit, what can happen, and it's the most important educational amendment in probably in the history of the United States, and it happened here in this town, and it was the, the, the reason for building this radio station, because I lost my freedom of speech in 2013 doing this. Oh, wow. And uh, that's my metamorphosis to keep kids safe is to have parents deciding if the teachers are armed or not, or anybody else in that matter, and that signs be put up like they have in other states where it clearly says... Uh, uh, we use deadly force to protect the security of our student body. It, it's a warning to anyone: your life is not worth anything in the, uh, the your life is not worth anything in this school. And the signs are just up there. And uh, he's the only he's the only person I can think of that could carry this baton because he's an affected party. And Ron DeSantis is just waiting for this support to be drummed up. Uh, I've spoken so much about it to him. Before he was uh, governor, and uh, it's time. I'm running out of time because my daughter's already a senior, and uh, I've been doing this since 2013. So if there's will do
1: it for my grandson.
0: If there's ever an opportunity to pull this off, and if you have any opportunity, uh, well, I'll, I'll make sure that you have my number after this interview. But if there's ever an opportunity where you know he's going to be present, and we can meet each other, and you introduce me, uh, i we would be really doing a service because Florida is the only state of the 50 states that has a direct ballot parent trigger law.
4: No, no. And, and you can always follow him on a Twitter
0: account. Um, well, I, I do th- I do that, but he doesn't. Uh, I have a problem with Twitter because I don't think anybody hears me on Twitter. I think I've been blocked on Twitter. And I just can't believe that I can make as many comments as I have and I get no traction whatsoever. So I think I'm being blocked. Either that or I'm just yeah. really terrible at it. But I don't think I can reach, I don't think I can uh, meet him that way. It has to be person to person. And the issue is too important for it not to be person to person. Um, uh, well, there's an event in the area, and he's going to be there, I'll let you know. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you very much for the call. That ends our program for tonight. Yes. And hopefully you'll call us back. Yes, definitely. I enjoyed it. Thank All you. All right. Long live the kingdom of David. Jackson. Yes. Thank
4: C- you, Jackson. Thank
0: you. God bless you. Take care. So, uh, that There been... you
1: go. You might get a trip to Israel out of this.
0: No. And just... a connection to Andrew there, You hear Polish. what you just said? I will have to pay for me to go to Israel, okay? You... So, I'm not getting a trip. I'm You're just... not
1: getting a trip?
0: I'm not getting a trip. That means I, I should pony up as a good old Republican, pay for it, get no freebies, but... I think it's time, you know. I think yeah. it's uh, If ever I'm going to do it, I mean, what am I waiting for? How many more signs? I shouldn't go by myself. Take your uh, daughter. Huh? She's going to
1: be graduating from high school. Give her that as a high school gift, a yeah. graduation gift.
0: Wow. I mean, does uh, you know, Adam Knight mess around Adam or, or what? Robinson
1: wants to get on.
0: Well, let's end our show. Let's end the Concrete Conservative Show. Stay free, my friends. Back in a moment.